A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the MCU Universe. We are the Lorehounds, your guides to the multiverse and beyond. I'm David. And I'm Alicia. And we're here to guide you through the only successful breakout in Alcatraz history and some <laughs> multiverse hopping shenanigans. We're going to be recapping and breaking down the fifth episode of Loki season two, sharing Easter eggs and our current theories about what is exactly going on. We'd also love to hear your thoughts about Loki as we discuss the rest of the season. Email your feedback to mcu at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website at thelorehounds.com and use the contact form or record us a voicemail. We've got feedback and a voicemail this episode. This is great. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. Keep it coming. Mixed we've got media. one more. Yeah. Come, uh, we've got one more to go. So exciting. If you're interested in getting an ad-free version of this or any of our podcasts, or you just want to throw us some bucks and you know give us a hand, check us out over at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. I'll share more information about the Patreon and notes about our upcoming programming schedule at the end of the podcast. You can also help us out a ton by um, giving us a five-star rating wherever you happen to be listening now. Apple Podcasts is especially helpful. So yeah, we read all the reviews. Uh, they mean a lot to us, even if it's just a few quick words. Before we get started, spoiler warning. We, of course, are going to be uh, spoiling all of the Loki episodes, including the one we're going to be talking about today and pretty much anything MCU related. <laughs> it's all on and the table. And Marvel Comics. And Marvel and Comics, because it's all there. And we can't talk about the episode without getting into all of that kind of stuff. So... With that, uh, you may have noticed that Jean's voice is absent from our intro this week. In fact, he has not been spaghettified. <laughs> he is still with us in the primary world. He's just got some uh, unexpected family stuff to attend to this morning. And so he, Alicia and I are filing, fly, flying, filing, flying, <laughs> flying solo today. Well, like and the spaghetti we'll monster. Get, no. That's right. The flying spaghetti monster, FSM. Uh, we're going to hear from Jean hopefully next week. And uh, I'm sure everything. he said in the discord that he was pretty happy about this episode. So yeah, I included his discord thoughts in the notes. Oh, perfect. Thanks. Thanks mm. for doing that. Cool. All right. Well, you want to set us up really quick on the episode and then we can do our hot takes. 
Yeah, so um, it's called Science Slash Fiction. And if you've watched the episode, you understand why. Uh, It was directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. So like the overall directors for most of the season and written by Eric Martin. quote unquote showrunners. Yeah. This, right? <laughs> well, I mean, because often the showrunner is the head writer, which would be Eric Martin. But yeah, it's sure, there. Yeah. But these are the three guys we've been talking about throughout like all of our Loki coverage so far. And yeah, this is this and the next episode are their babies. Right. Well, do you want to uh, recap what Jean had to say on the Discord and then we can talk about yeah. your and I's hot takes? Yeah, so he's still enjoying the season. He said, I can't wait to see how they pull off this season finale in episode six, because up to this point, the show has been hitting on all cylinders and they will land the plane. He says the plane will be landed. (laughs) (laughs) So far, I'm pretty confident that they're going to land the plane. It will just see how bumpy the landing is, but it's definitely not a secret invasion situation. Right. No. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think... I think the problem is the landing might be too smooth for some people. Like they, they're, they're, they've been telling us <laughs> the all irony. season. Yeah, they've been telling us all season that this is a story about the creation of the TVA. And then I feel right. like some people are disappointed that this is turning to be out to be a story about the creation of the TVA. But that's what mm-hmm. I signed up for personally. So mm-hmm. I think it's come. I've come to the conclusion that this that may be true. I mean, you know, obviously multiple things can be true mm-hmm. for me. What one of the primary, one of the big cornerstones of this season is taking Loki from this trickster god who is devoid of friendship and camaraderie and community and turning him into a heroic character and having him go through the process of, of changing. So it's a heel turn in the opposite direction. And I don't think. A lot of people may have been necessarily expecting that as mm. well. So there's a lot of character work that's going on, I think, in this episode. Yeah. I was a little mixed on this episode personally when I watched it the, the first time. The I, I will just say the acting, the camera work, post-production, editing, music, sets, everything is incredible. This is one of the best looking television shows I've ever seen in my life. It is through and through, visually gorgeous and expertly shot and put together. So loved all of that. I was slightly disappointed in the fate of the characters. I was hoping for a little bit more zazz in them falling back into their, you know, what their uh, uh, non-TVA variant lives were. You know, but that's a that's a minor quibble. My one bigger quibble, though, is this point of the magic was in you all along, you know, in mm-hmm. this sort of, you know, you know, realization that I can control my my fate. But that's fine. I am not opposed to that. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I just felt it was a little bit soft. I, I, it just, you know, there was. Just this sort of, oh, I can control it. And and suddenly it, it's happening. And, and I felt like it was I just, I don't know. I just wanted some more crunch to it somehow. Okay. I just wanted some more mechanics to it somehow. I don't know. I, I, I just felt it was too much of a little bit of a internal realization, fuzzy navel gazing moment. 
but again, it's fine. And I think it's fine within the context that, you know what? And I, and I heard uh, Aaron on the Bald Move podcast talking about this because I listened to their coverage just before we hopped on. And his point was, and he liked the episode, his point was that this is a comic book and this is a comic book story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we want from our comic book stories is for our heroes to be heroic and to prevail and to, against all odds, you know, pull it through. In, in but the Loki's minute. lose. Lose? Yes, exactly. And I think that's what they're doing is they're, they're turning that because, she, we'll, and obviously we'll talk about it when we get there, but that's one of the last things that we hear in this spaghetti uh, scene was Sylvie saying, you know, Loki's lose because we're Loki's. And he rejects that. And that gives him, that's when he has the moment and when he becomes, mm. when he finds the truth within him, which is that he can rewrite his own story. Um, so I just wanted to throw in there that I think the opposite of a heel turn is a face turn. So just okay. before the wrestling Technical fans language, come yes, at us. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, for me, when it comes to all of the explanation of the mechanics and stuff, I'm not making any judgments on that until after next week because that's fair. That's um, totally fair. I, I fully expect that a lot of things will be explained in the finale. Not everything. I think we're definitely going to end the season with questions. I think that's always the case with with a lot of shows, but especially with Marvel shows. Um, but I, I yeah, I'm going to see what they give us next week. Um, but I do have a theory that I'm going to bring up at the end of our okay. breakdown. That I'm curious cool. if that affects, if 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 my theory, which is probably not true, but if it were true, I'm curious <laughs> how that would affect <laughs> how you felt about that. What did you? So overall, were you positive on this? Episode? Yeah, I mean, overall, I was. Um, yeah, I was. I was very positive. Uh, I think that, you know, again, it like the last one. It was kind of what I expected, so mm-hmm. I didn't have that like delight like I had with episode three. That's kind of what made me like that one best because it surprised me the most, I guess, even though I did know that they were going to obviously go find Victor Timely at some point. But I think that it pulled this together well. There was a lot of emotional moments. Uh, Could have had a bit more from who these people were in their past lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm also, again, I'm not going to judge that until after next week because we don't know where they're going to show us then. I, I think it's an interesting question of how many episodes could we have seen this season? Mm-hmm. Six feels a little tight. Mm-hmm. Twelve eight would, would be good. Eight would be good. I think, yeah, yeah 12, 10 or 12 might be stretching it a little mm-hmm. far. But then the question is there is, is what's the tolerance for watching you know, Loki do this, you know, time trippy stuff, you know, could, can we, could we sit through 12 episodes? Yeah. I think eight, I think you're right. I think eight might be an, I mean, number. yeah, I guess I, I was, I'm thinking about seasons of Dr. Who, but those do tend to be in small clusters. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a different show. It's built differently, right? Well, it's, it, I mean, this different... season of Loki is very Dr. Who, which you is, so? which is a good thing to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, this is a like a, a more polished Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a much bigger budget Doctor Who. Yeah. Well, at least well, from the old uh, hey, wait Tom till Baker Dis- days. Disney has a Doctor Who rights now. We'll see about that budget. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, you'll start finding Doctor Who on Disney Plus uh, because they are, I mean, not that they have bought it, but they have bought like the- They optioned rights for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to be distributing it internationally and they're putting money into it. Yeah. 
Interesting. You think that they're going to do some fresh productions from there? That's another big IP for them to own. I mean, we should already start to see the difference in the 60th anniversary specials. Okay. That's really interesting. And then Hulu, I guess, is about to get fully owned. So that uh, who, Disney's buying out the that minority stake. I forget who has it. And so uh, Comcast. Have, yeah. So it, I'm going to, it's going to be interesting. Disney's. Is, is Disney going to well, be then, able to step through into a new a new realm here? Well, but here in where I live in Europe, um, all of the Hulu contents on Disney anyway. So it's okay. like, come on, catch up. But also the one annoying thing is that for some reason they delay all FX shows by a couple mm-hmm. of months before they release them on Disney Plus. So yeah. I'm hoping that will stop as soon as Disney has whole ownership of Hulu. Just please give us the bear at the same time as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it must be torture to have to wait. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. International distribution rights are funky. So mm-hmm. yeah, who knows? Well, uh, should we talk quickly about the Variety article and some of the yeah. MCU news that has come out? And I know we're going to talk a little bit more when we do our Marvel's preview, which we're recording yeah. probably the day after this comes out. So we're going to do a prep podcast for uh, the Marvels so that we're caught up. Everybody, especially the casual fans, the, in, you know, the, the fans who just drop in and out, we're going to set up the, the primary characters and sort of what we know going into this from all of the other storylines and then talk about what we expect. But I, I know that you've been uh, doing the Marvel book that Joanna Robinson co-authored. And you had a bunch of notes on that, but then obviously we have this big variety article. So I thought we were going to bundle a bunch of that into that conversation as well. But you wanted to touch on some stuff here because there was a big article in variety. Right. Yeah. I think um, maybe we can put a few minds at rest uh, okay. because, yeah, so I've, I've, I have finished the Joanna Robinson book and Good. Uh, obviously we all read the Variety article and, you know, I've read a bunch of, I've seen all of the piggyback articles with the clickbait headlines. <laughs> and, the AI generated yeah. uh, follow-up articles. Yeah. Um, and I have to say the Variety article itself, it's, it is a good read. We were all like, ooh, juicy. It's well-written, mm-hmm. but it is definitely slanted in a certain way that mm. is kind of piggybacking on a, you know, this whole idea going around of Marvel fatigue. And right. when you dissect the Variety article, it's a lot of it. Most of it is not new information, uh, pretty okay. much okay. none of it's new information. So uh, we'll talk about the Marvel stuff when we talk about do the Marvel's preview app. We've already talked about things that have happened since the Variety article, like changes on the TV side with them implementing showrunners and things like that, and that Feige's overall slowing down the Marvel machine uh, for better quality control. Um, I think Iger was a little bit behind that, too. I think he Yeah. No, I don't mean to give all the credit to Feige. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. But hopefully Feige had a voice in that because he sounded like he was getting buried with work. So Definitely, yeah. and yeah, and, uh, and uh, there was a lot of discussion about the Blade stuff, but the Blade worries, this is all past stuff. Like the production yes. is already rebooted months ago. Mm-hmm. Ali has not left the production. And I have to say, you know, that quote that was included in there about a bunch about that, apparently a draft of the script that had a bunch yes. of women and life lessons and, and fourth lead. I keep that quote getting repeated and repeated on other podcasts yeah. and other media and people are picking up on that. I'm like, Doesn't that sound know. off? Yeah. Yeah, it sounded off. So backing up my feeling that that sounds like it comes from a particular type of Marvel exec, 
<laughs> a screenwriter named Michael Starbury, who he worked on previous like early editions of the Blade draft. And he said, okay. I worked on a draft before uh, before the strike. Never saw a version where Blade was a fourth lead or it was, quote, a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. But I suppose a lot could have happened since I uh, a lot could have happened since I had anything to do with it. Uh, he was in 99% of the scripts I was part of. So that sounds more like what I would expect. Uh, take it for what it's worth. Uh, he did delete his Twitter account after this. So I'm what? assuming he got a lot of backlash. Well, apparently he moved to Thread. So he might have just deleted it in general because of the he Twitter. Was in the, yeah, yeah, the right. Twitter exodus. Yeah. Right. But yeah, and I think that, you know, they also reported that Blade would be getting a smaller budget, but that we're still talking like nearly 100 million. And I think that actually that could be a good thing because one of the insights yes. I had from the book was that the smaller, less scrutinized projects or the projects that were assumed wouldn't do well, like Guardians of the Galaxy or, you know, Were Werewolf by Night got to do its own thing. These are often the strongest uh, creative projects and the right. ones doing the most interesting things. So I think it's a good thing for Blade. And I'm very heartened that the writer they've brought on is Michael Green, the writer of Logan, who... Okay. Is, I mean, I think we can all agree that's the best Wolverine movie, right? Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I always go back to this one sort of observation that I had, where the original Matrix movie was done on a budget. They had tight constraints around them, and it was one of the most creative, groundbreaking, right. uh, uh, cinema-altering movies that we have had in them in that modern then this more modern era you know coming out of the 80s action thriller stuff and and then they when they went on to make the second two movies they were just bloated and and over the top in in a lot of ways and they started out at 11 rather than starting out at five or six and then slowly turning the knob up and when the studio just shovels cash at you your what's what's your tendency let's spend the cash why not and and i think that that one of the things that we know from artists uh, from any discipline that you know part of your creativity comes from the constraints that you have around you not that we should all be starving artists or anything like that but that you know um having constraint helps focus and helps create innovation and and helps push you into new directions. Everything that has been a groundbreaking production, visually, television, movie-wise, seems to Absolutely. have had that that narrowing. At some point, there was some sort of choke point that you had to get through to to birth the <laughs> the creation. Right. right. And when, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, I, I was listening to the Midnight Boys as well, and I, I think Van made this point. He's like, "Why do you need two hundred fifty million dollars?" to have a guy with a sword killing vampires, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on, you know, student films have been doing it for decades. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I watched a uh, director by night as well. And mm -hmm. that was amazing to see. Yes. Cause they showed footage from their childhood. Uh, oh, it was movies. incredible. Yeah. 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 So they go, they unearthed mm -hmm. all this stuff and, and I, I felt so connected to it. We didn't go into a huge film, but we were, we did some drama and there's a couple of, you know, times where folks were playing around with video cameras and things like that, but it was, it was really a charming movie. So check yeah. that out if, if you haven't. So, um, yeah. So yeah. I have, I've still, I have higher than ever hopes for blade, to be honest. Okay. I would rather it be, I mean, this isn't even Yanked like indie drama budget, over. but I'd rather it be more of like an indie 
project than a creative auteur led project than uh, one of the an, another milk toast big budget um, where they're trying to appeal ends to the everybody. same way yeah and I think that was one of the successes of Andor. I've been rewatching Andor <laughs> recently yeah. off golf, and uh, you know they weren't trying to appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. They were trying to tell the story that they had in right. mind, and then mm-hmm. you know go from there. Uh, and if you try to appeal to everybody, you just lower the common denominator and you make a bland uh, creation. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and um, in terms of the on the big budget side, so the idea that they're going to bring back big names. Um, like the Robert Downey Jr. Oh, God, and Chris yeah, Evans and yeah. all that stuff. No, I mean, that's we've, we've known this. We've been assuming this was going to happen in Secret Wars. So uh-huh. this is not news, and it's definitely not a sign of a lack of confidence. It's just, you know, a reward they're giving to fans for the big mm-hmm. movies that cap off the end of this saga. So um, so the only real major worry is, well, majors, uh, is Jonathan <laughs> Majors. Um so yeah, we they said in the article that, for instance, that CAA parted ways with him pre-arrest for his brutal conduct towards staff, which matches things that were being said around mm-hmm. about the way he treats people professionally and also obviously in romantic relationships. Now, yeah, the trial starts right after the season of Loki ends, um, and okay. it, the incident did occur while this season was filming. So there, there may be some interesting wrinkles okay but yeah we don't know what they're going to do are they going to ignore it are they going to recast or are they going to shift to doom that's an old rumor as well i i think that they're going to either ignore it or recast personally you know we were talking offline about this and it feels like this article is kind of a lagging indicator right it's a lot of stuff has already been implemented or we've heard some other things and so it feels a little bit maybe like this is, you know, getting the dirty laundry out, you know, dump it. Well, they didn't dump it on a Friday, but, you know, uh, you know, right. let it just just sort of clear it out and and just deal with these issues sort of head on. Give somebody some priority access, give them some ju- juicy tidbits and a couple of quotes and and finish cleaning the deck, sweeping the decks so that they can refocus. And it already feels like with this season of Loki that this is a refocused show. This is mm-hmm. not what we, this feels like it's a singular vision of right. Benson and Moorhead. And uh, who's the writer again? Uh, uh, Martin. Eric Martin. Yeah, it feels singular in that sense that there's a, a tight creative vision. So yeah, maybe this article was just them, you know, just trying to get the rest of the laundry out of the basement before uh, right. they start fresh again. Right. And um it is interesting, though, that in this backlash from this article, they suddenly surprise dropped a new trailer. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great timing for this trailer See? drop. Yeah. They don't. This is this is it feels like there's a hand working behind the scenes here, you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's working this. But yes, let's talk about Echo. Yeah. So um, it's coming out January 10th. We have a Amazing. date now. Five episodes binge drop crossover with Hulu, which is probably because this is now officially the first TVMA MCU project. So this feels definitely like it's been engineered, that they made a bunch of decisions months ago, and these are now just showing up in the in the public world. Yeah. I mean, and I if you listen to the industry stuff, they've been it's been speculated for a while. Like when is Disney just gonna Full out by Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just get over it. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
it just makes it takes a while easier. though to, to work out the mm-hmm. details and, and the Absolutely. legal stuff. But that's what all those lawyers are paid for. It. So, what did you think of the trailer? Okay, I'm going to back off the mic here and I'm going to swear. <laughs> so, fuck yeah! <laughs> that trailer blew me out of the water. I was jumping around after I saw you posted it. I was mm-hmm. freaking out. Well, they've made it low stakes, so I guess it's hopefully that means that they then have had more room to play. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I've been excited about Echo since, you know, that was one of the first things when you and I started talking about MCU stuff. One of the first things I said right. I was excited about was this Echo show, which is finally coming out. I, I, she just like, she's such a cool, badass character already. So yeah, when they found this character, Alakwa Cox, she happened to be an amputee. And so they just rolled with it. They're like, she's the perfect actress. So we're just going to add amazing. this feature to her character as well. And it's such a... It's such a cool extra touch, just that she, you know, seeing her fight and the way she uses her prosthetic when she fights, and and yeah, I love that this seems like it's going to focus a lot on her complicated relationship with Kingpin, and we saw Kingpin go like full Kingpin the way that we know from the Daredevil show. Incredible! And, yeah, and yeah. seeing where his hands sort of shaking after the assault, it was just such a an incredible shot, incredible touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, the complexity of that relationship, it's going to kill me, but in a good way. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Who's the monster, right? Yeah, yeah. And we got the Daredevil sighting. So, you know, we're going fully back into that universe. Um, And yeah, I love that they're bringing back her dad, played by Zay McLaren, who, you know, the Native American actor from Westworld and Dark Winds. And they're fleshing out the Native cast in general. So there's a bunch new actors being added most uh, added most of them native american including recognizable faces like grand graham green from dances with wolves and also i have to say i looked on the back end head writer looks pretty you know uh northern european but okay. um, but the <laughs> writers room, yeah but the writers room in general there are a lot of different native american writers in it and on the crew and things like that um the one thing in this is just like a through line with me is that I do get an annoyed or discouraged that mm-hmm. Native American culture is often treated as a monolith. So, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see it's a, any it's Cheyenne. diverse as anything, right? It's yeah. right. It's it, we're talking about an entire continent of vastly different languages and you know cultures and and so I didn't see any uh, in the comics. The character is uh, Cheyenne. And okay. I didn't see any Cheyenne people on the staff, but I hope that they are paying attention to being specifically Cheyenne. And yeah, okay. Lopez, uh, the the actress is not, she's not a Cheyenne herself, but still, I hope that they make an effort to distinguish that tribe. That would be, that would be good. <laughs> that yeah. would be a, a smart thing <laughs> to do. So. No, it looks, it looks cool as hell. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 30 minutes into the pod, I guess maybe we should get into our episode breakdown, but let's take a break really quick, and then when we get back, we'll get into it. And we're back. Okay, Alicia, thanks again for doing the episode breakdown. Do you want to start to walk us through? Okay, so starting at the beginning, 
As the blinding white lights from last week clears, uh, Loki, Tom Hiddleston, finds himself alone in the TVA, the loudspeaker still blaring TVA code 1299 fail safe mode initiated. He's become untethered from time again, stumbling across himself in the chrono bay, while the monitor there shows a graphic of Miss Minutes mockingly thanking the empty TVA for their service, total spaghettification begins and Loki time slips away with the TVA ma- manual in his pocket. Loki starts getting time pulled across the branch timelines to the points where his friends are and once to the time theater where Mobius once told him about how sacred timeline Loki's life had ended. First, though, he finds Casey, sorry, Frank, still played by Eugene Cordero, uh, breaking out of Alcatraz in 1962. B-15, Wunmi Masako, is apparently a pediatrician in New York City in 2012, where she is known as Dr. Willis. And Mobius Owen Wilson is, of course, selling jet skis. But in 2020, Cleveland, and he's a single dad with two boys. None of Loki's friends recognize him before he time slips away again. So a couple of little fun things in the opening there with that that Marvel uh, Studios music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it really connected me to sort of a horror style uh, film. And I guess you had, had mentioned that Benson and Moorhead have done a lot of what thriller right. horror titles. So it really felt like sort of a creeping dread thing. Well, yeah, we have to thank Natalie Holt, the composer for that. And I know last week she posted on Twitter that there was a similar chant. And she said that it was from the Norse uh, Edda, which is like a Norse saga poem. Uh, okay. Loka Sena. So, and that was actually the one last week was created by Sigur Ross. I didn't look to see who composes one. If it was Sigur Ross again, it was a famous Icelandic band that does this kind of uh, droning Norse music. If anyone is familiar, anyway, um, <laughs> I, it, they're very famous. They're very famous. Okay. A lot of people know that. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if that was the case again this week, but I think we can assume similar. Very cool. And then the nice little touch of the disappearing letters in the. Yeah. Loki TikTok going down, uh, and then they left it. What the last one was the O, so uh, I don't know Ouroboros, maybe I don't know. Maybe that may be mm-hmm. just haunting shadows, but you know, I was curious as to why the the O was the last one, and then yeah. it comes all back full, right? Mm-hmm. So very much mirrors the what goes on in this episode. I had a theory question, tinfoil hat time. Who are the TVA? Like, who are the people? that make up the TBA. And I thought going after the last episode where we had, you know, Renslayer learning that she was the commander of, of the armies, it'd probably just be easy to take the time army, wipe their memories and then have them, you know, cause you have a paramilitary force already, you know, a military force and you just kind of create a more, you know, civilian, you know, a paramilitary style organization agency from those people. I don't know. That just would seem to me like from a human resources standpoint would be the most efficient thing to do. No, I think uh, that sounds very plausible. I'm assuming. Not that it's going to mean anything for the plot. It just sort Mm -hmm. of is a, you know, headcanon thing. Yeah. Yeah. So does the 1229 code mean anything or is that just some number that they just pulled up out out of thin air? I mean, I, I brought that up when I, we heard it in the first episode, and I've been was wondering it the same ever code since. But or a different mm, code. I mean, I we, we can notes. double check, but yeah, but anyway. I, I think it's the same. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too how they had Loki see himself in this little scene, and so I thought it, from a plot a plot device, mechan- plot mechanics, it was a good device to 
teach us about what's going to happen and the fact that this is going to be a, a time slippy episode and mm-hmm. that we're going to see. And then later on, we see, you know, specifically with Mobius, we see them seeing each other. And, and then, of course, you know, Loki time slipping later. So it just felt very, um, it was a good little piece of structure to, to prep us for what's about to come. Right. So, and then he also, this is also where he slips the TVA manual into his coat pocket. So mm-hmm. a little bit more bootstrapping, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, especially when he gives it to um, OB slash uh, yeah. Doug later. Exactly, Doug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because then, yeah, he's gotten it, but he's, but then it adds, he's gotten the thing that he's going to write. So that's just straight bootstrap paradox. But then the whole Ouroboros element where um, there was also Victor Timely involved seems to be somewhat wiped. But I guess, again, I'm back to the Mobius twisting around yes. dark style time uh, loop solution. Yeah, Right, exactly. And just this spaghettification, and there's so much of it in this episode, it looked amazing. They some of the ways that they worked the camera, especially in the record store. I've got a couple of things I want to talk about when we get to that, but it looked really good. It looked a million bucks uh, throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. I don't know what sort of, you know, plug in they have rent, you know, right. the rendering software. Okay. Click well, spaghettification sh- on how many threads. Well, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Let's not poo poo how much work I'm not goes into it. I am yeah, extolling no, it, but it's not. Yeah. I'm sure that they had, um, they had, you know, their artists work with the technical side and I've seen this in animation studios, how they were probably slaved over that effect for many months. Yeah, and right. uh, getting the physics exactly right, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "All right, this was a lot of work. We spent a lot of money on this. Uh, control A, apply all." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think uh, when we talked to Bear McCreary too, we talked a little bit about his um, process for doing the music for Foundation and how they created a software model to do it, and it took a lot of work to be able to get to that point of automation and a bunch of sliders that are going to produce good effect. So, you know, yeah, I could imagine them, you know, spending a lot of time uh, on this, but you know, we're already at a pretty advanced state in, in animated stuff like this. It just, it does take time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the fact that we are capable of doing this. That's, you know, shows our advancement, but it still takes, um, it's, I think a lot of people tend to think that animation uh, can be done more by computers when it's actually, Even when you have these presets, you know, these these physics uh, tools that you've created yourself and you can apply them, it still takes so much human tweaking to make it not look weird and wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the really the, the important thing is getting out of that uncanny valley, right? And making mm-hmm. it sort of look natural, even though spaghettification is not at all natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so uh, when he starts jumping back around, were you surprised by any of the previous life reveals? Did you have a favorite amongst those? The backstories. It all seemed reasonable. I I think I said at the top of the show that I was a little underwhelmed, or or maybe just whelmed at the at it, where they were in their different lives. I did like the fact that Cordero had the most range that he could play, mm-hmm. so that was nice for him. But then when you have an actor like Saku. And you just make her this nice doctor where it's all lollipops and, you know, unicorn rainbows. I, I was I was really underwhelmed at, at her storyline. And that was disappointing because, again, it's just making it's just giving her too simple of stuff to do. 
Yeah. You know, and, and so, uh, and, and just making her a doctor, you know, and then writing the cast, it was all very cutesy and simple. Yeah. You know, at least Mobius had some, you know, like it made me feel uncomfortable for him as a parent trying to yeah. do, you know, being a single parent with two wild childs like that, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, not easy. And then trying to be a jet ski salesman. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like that had the most depth to it. But none of the storylines really excited me, uh, mm. w- let's say. And then, of course, Sylvie was just Sylvie. Yeah. Um, so about the uh, B-15 backstory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and that is actually, she's a real character from the comics that she's playing, no Verity Willis. Yeah. Really? Okay. And so in the comics, uh, in more recent comics, like we're talking like 2014 past comics, um, she's a close friend of Loki's. And she like swallowed this truth ring at uh, when she was a baby that dissolved in her stomach or something. So now she can see the truth. She can see through any lie. So Uh this makes her, you know, this endeared her to Loki because she calls him out on his bullshit. Maybe that's why she could see when she sees that when she writes a little note on the on the girl's cast, like you're not going to do that. Yeah, that's that's true. Oh, you're you're right. That's probably the case. But in um, in the comics, she has like purplish hair and like tattooed arms. And she definitely has a lot of personality, which is why it's like, well, why? Why in this flashback do we not get more personality? Seriously, seriously, you know, just the gosh and golly doctor. Right. You know, come on. Yeah. You know, Ume's and, been, when she was in, you know, um, uh, what was the one, um, I'm blanking the name now, the uh, horror one with majors. Um, it's it's Lovecraft Country. Love That's it, Lovecraft Country. I, she, her, the range that she played and the thing that she went through, and, you know, I don't, I'm not going to spoil it, go see it, mm-hmm. was incredible, was absolutely mind-blowingly incredible. And in this season... It's just so monodimensional. It's it's really disappointing. This is my yeah. one big criticism of this season. No, they they need to give her more. Um, yeah. It is interesting, though. I wonder if they cut stuff out because the fact they put her in 2012 in New York, which is when the Battle of New York happened, which was the in- invasion caused by Loki himself. Oh, interesting. So it seems weird to put her in that setting and not. I again, we'll see if there's something in the finale. They, but she wasn't like, "Oh, you, you were leading an alien army or something." Right. I would assume that they would, they would be careful with those dates that they're choosing. You know, mm-hmm, that, that's definitely that kind of stuff that you don't. You, that would be a bad miss on on Marvel's part. So yeah, that, I don't think that's an accident. So I'm wondering if there's that's going to come up later, or that was cut out, or uh, right. a, a reference to that. Um, but where they were careful about the dates is uh, with the backstory of, well, Casey, a.k.a. Frank. Frank. So <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't done the Alcatraz tour in San Francisco, which I highly recommend if you make it there, um, the 1962 breakout is a real event. So it happened the night of June 11th and Clarence and John Anglin and Frank Morris they placed paper mache heads in their beds and snuck out through the ventilation shafts and uh, took off on an inflatable self-made raft and no one knows what happened to them after that. So uh, this, Pretty incredible this is, story that they never, yeah. they never found them after. So, yeah. And uh, this, these events were also recounted in the movie escape from Al- Alcatraz where right. the Frank Morris character was played by Clint Eastwood. Famous um, movie. Yeah. 
But it makes sense that he would be Frank Morris because, you know, he he got into a lot of trouble robbing and stealing and possessing narcotics and escaping from jail. And that's how he ended up in Alcatraz. But he mm-hmm. did have immense qualifying IQ. He was a very intelligent man. Um, right. Anyway, it was nice that, that Eugene Cordero had a little bit of range to play here. You know, he got to play yeah. something, you know, very different, push, push his boundaries a little bit. So it was weird to see yeah. Casey with a little bit of harder edge, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I liked that. And yeah. it was funny. Uh, he does shout. I don't know if you caught it when he's coming out. He says, the, the, if we, they catch us, they're going to gut us like a fish, which, you know, was what Loki threatened him last season. Oh, I forgot about good call. I forgot about that one. That's right. Yeah, good. So, and uh, yeah, and I also wanted to point out a fun Easter egg. The Anglin brothers, the two guys who escaped with him, they were played by the directors, Benson and Moorhead. No way. Yeah. <laughs> that's fun. It's a, that's fun. I like those little Easter eggs like that. When when production folks get to jump in front of the screen for a hot second. That's that's very cool. Yeah, so Mobius though, I thought he would be from the 90s, did you? Uh, I had no idea what I, I was actually surprised that he was Dawn in his fifties at the jet ski shop you mm-hmm. know, because we, that there goes the Jack theories, right? That Jack, but he's the Dawn. right age to be Jack, but wrong name, wrong location. Right. Well, I mean, that's a lot of life to live. So, but it would be yeah. strange that he changed his name though. That's the only, that's the yeah. only difference. And moved from Oklahoma to, um, to where was he Schenectady? Sorry, yeah, I missed the the location um, actually. So wait, I wrote it down here. Okay, uh, in Cleveland. Sorry, Cleveland. Yeah, and uh, that his wife is long gone. Was that because his? I think because this takes place during the snap, during oh. the blip. Oh, oh, that's an interesting theory. Interesting. Okay. I mean, it does take place during the blip, so it seem it feels like that must be. That Why? must be, yeah. Well, and that's what we want, right? Is we want this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, IP consistency. We want it across the board there. So, but yeah, I really, I really felt for, for Dawn here. It's tough being a parent, tough being a single parent and tough being a, uh, a parent when your kids are, you know, pushing the boundaries like that, you know, without how do you, how do you create a structured environment for kids to thrive when you're five or six days a week, you know, trying to sell uh, personal watercraft to uh, to less than yeah. enthusiastic shoppers. Yeah. This first time we see him, he looks like maybe he's a bad dad with, you know, his um, not taking his son's calls. But then when we see him again next time, then you see him, he's really trying to parent, in, but his boys are running wild. One of them is burning things. There's a sheet hanging out of the window like somebody <laughs> snuck out. Like right. <laughs> One of the things when I became a parent that I sort of set up a rule for myself was that I, you know, Outside of actual uh, malfeasance, you know, actual criminal behavior or something like that. If it's not that, then I'm not going to judge other parents because you never know what that parent has dealt with in that morning. I remember plenty of times when I was, you know, pre-parenthood and looking at parents just going, "Ah, I'll never be that way. And then being on the other side of that and going, oh, okay. Yeah, it's not fair for me to judge, you know, when I'm just trying right. to to cope on a day to day basis. So, especially when you've got two, it's it's almost two two against one, not two against one, but you know, yeah. um, uh, two kids, one parent. That's not at all an easy thing to deal with. And they so. were, yeah, they were like around twelve, you know, which is a yeah. 
troublemaking age. Yeah, exactly. I was was a troublemaker at 12 too. (laughs) (laughs) But I I love when Loki arrived at the jet ski dealership, or it's actually, I think Eric Voss on um, New Rockstars pointed out, it's actually a Sea-Doo dealership. Right, (laughs) right. Jet ski is a brand name. I'm going to continue. Xerox. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to continue to say jet ski, but I'm acknowledging that. (laughs) 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 But when he shows up at the dealership, Loki, his arrival is mirroring that wacky, wavy, inflatable arm flailing tube man. And it's so good. Um, There were videos that leaked a while ago of them filming and you could see him doing this. uh, And it was just funny then. But now to see the result, they pulled it off. It worked well. I I thought it was a little too on the nose when he was sort of in front of it doing the actual arm waving thing. I thought the first flash of it that we had was Mm -hmm. enough. I was like, oh, that's funny. I I didn't need the the full on. But, you know, I get it. That's just a sensibility question. But it was cute. I, I, I totally agree. So Cleveland, it is on Lake Erie. So there's a great lake there for jet skiing. But Mm -hmm. why do I get the feeling that Don doesn't really use his much? Maybe not since his, probably definitely not since his uh, wife, let's assume. Yeah, it felt like those were sitting in the garage for quite a while, which is why he's trying to sell one. Yeah. Make a sale, use that, use that money. I'm still crossing my fingers that we're going to get a uh, post-credit scene at the end of the season of Lokebius riding their jet skis together. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, and by the way, in the shop, um, there's a guy who's eating the donut and wants yeah. a dirt mm-hmm. bike. Yeah. That's Isaac Bauman, who's mm-hmm. the cinematographer for most <laughs> of the season. Everybody's sneaking in front of the camera yeah. here. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, I hope we're getting this the single uh, dad backstory next week. Okay. Although I do notice he brings up yet again having a drink. So I feel like they're trying to tell us that Don was stressed and yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he enjoys, uh, yeah. I think some people find some solace in, in food and, and drink and not necessarily alcoholic beverage, but yeah, you know, he kicks some of those endorphins, uh, get some of those endorphins circulating around your brain. Little yummy snack, a little pie or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's good. a lot of a lot of Mobius seeking comfort, like the pies and yeah. Which, you know, sheds a lot of light on his comment about what if it was what did he say? What is it good? What what if it was good? What if my mm-hmm. life was good? And yeah. it doesn't feel like maybe pre-snap, let's assume that the snap is is the circumstance that they're dealing with, which would also explain some of the difficulties that you know the family is going through because suddenly like one of the parents is just gone that's a huge right. destabilizing factor um that yeah you know maybe they're they're having a, a rough time okay well uh so going on with the recap we have we get to meet the OG OB while Loki is while Loki is time slipping. Uh, he there is a physicist from Caltech named A. D. Doug who would rather be a science fiction writer, and he's caught trying to sneak his books onto bookshelves in 1994 Pasadena, California. And it is OB Kehui Kwan. He's sent away, told no one buys science fiction there. Uh, and I have to wonder if that's like a personal dig from someone's experiences. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so A.D. Doug, he takes Loki back to his workshop in an abandoned building when they meet, which uh, this workshop looks suspiciously like his workshop at the TVA. And Loki tells him everything and he's delighted to hear it because it sounds like his books come to life. Doug tells Loki he needs to figure out his why to control his time slipping. But Loki's still lying to himself. 
Now, OGOB says that they need to get the band back together to form the group Temporal Aura that they had the moment before the TVA meltdown, but Loki can't control his time slipping, so they're going to need a temp pad to get around. Loki gives OB the TVA manual, adding a new wrinkle to that bootstrap Ouroboros paradox we talked about before he time slips away again. So yeah, just first of all, weekly appreciation of how perfect all of (laughs) Kehui Kwan's deliveries are. (laughs) He's been so smooth in this thing. He's yeah, he's playing it really nicely. So and yeah, we've get the uh, the Zartan contingent. Yeah, from the closing credits. Yeah. So it seems like the closing credit sequence is, is, yeah, everything is something from somewhere in the it's show. It's all turning up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all, it's all turning up. We haven't seen, uh, the, I haven't seen the Black Hole book uh, specifically. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. But, but it um, references the overall discussion about black holes and spaghettification. Right. So there's, there's got to be, what did we talk about? I got to remember now about Zartan. Um, we talked more about the Zartan with a Z from the G.I. Joe universe. Which, oh, that's right. Which was produced by Marvel. But these are probably referencing Zartans with an X, which are from, you know, these Marvel comics. And these were beings that were shape-shifting beings created by Celestials. Unlike the scroll, they could also copy superpowers. Okay. Um, so it could be that, but then also he talks about another book, The Sons of Yorin, and I yes. scoured high and low, and <laughs> I couldn't, I mean, Yorin's like a character in a few different sci-fi and fantasy things, like obviously Game of Thrones, but um, sure. yeah, I couldn't find anything that seemed relevant for this. Okay. So I think it's just vaguely sci-fi sounding stuff. Fair enough. Yeah, and it could be just some, yeah, somebody, you know, you're looking for a, a reasonable sounding name, you, you pull one out of your... Yeah. Right. The sci-fi grab bag. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Um, Um, This bookstore really made me think of, did you ever see Portlandia? uh, No, no, not really. Okay. There's a bookstore. There's an ongoing skit about a bookstore, uh, like a sort of a more lefty uh, bookstore where, you know, science fiction wouldn't necessarily be sold. So it really, it it made me think of that uh, in a, in an offhanded way. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and the, it reminds me of bookstores I've been to. Um. Sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially, yeah, in certain certain places and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The workshop, right, straight out of the the t- the TVA, you know, inspired. Yeah. yeah, I mean the shelves, that whole circular structure of it, and even like the pneumatic tube mm-hmm. thing in the yep. middle. Yeah. Um. The front door so, when we uh, spin the camera around later and we yeah. see the front door, it's yeah, right out of it. So the question is, does this become the center of the TVA in the future, or does he somehow base his uh, workshop on the TVA? It feels like... Or it, the TVA on his workshop, sorry. Yeah, it feels like he would... It, that's a really good question. It's a Mobius loop, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but it feels definitely like the TVA could be here, or... or mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. It's, yeah, certainly OB in his place. Right. Mm-hmm. So he points out later that there's nothing else for Miles. So that's interesting. Right. Right. That seems so. like you pointed out because it's relevant, and they do an outside shot too to yeah, show that it's show isolated. That. Mm-hmm. the The question is though, is where is the TVA? It's nowhere. Right. It's outside of time. So right. And it's A not no. People. It's not nowhere, as in the mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like literally right. nowhere in the material plane. 
Right. Well, some people wonder if it's uh, in the quantum realm, but we still haven't had confirmation about that. Mm, right. Right. It's outside of time, and the normal mm-hmm. rules of time don't apply there, so it's hard to hard to say. Yeah. There were so many fan blades in there. The the other thing that it gave me vibes of was uh, Silo okay. <laughs> with the giant turbine. <laughs> when, I was like, <laughs> when they're and crawling it, through the shafts. Or, yeah, um, and I was just thinking. Uh, well, yeah. you know, and then they have to fix the big turbine. In, right, in, right. Oops, spoilers. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That, I'm not spoiling too much if you haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, but it just gave me those vibes. I, mean, I guess it's a mechanical thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. big industrial stuff, and maybe they just had a lot of those floating around. So, yeah. Yeah, and and lots of uh, I won't point out all the Easter eggs from the credits, but that post-it board was one of them that people were sure. wondering about. So now we know what that's about, <laughs> where that's from, right? Yeah, an author's yeah. board is that an author's a writer's board there, keeping track of all your plot points. Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, I'm just going to call him Ob, even though he's eighty he's Doug, Doug. I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Ob says a lot of things during this scene that just make me get suspicious and put on my, you know, little thinking brain investigative cap. Uh, one thing he says is, yeah, going back before time loom meltdown, uh, he says, you can't, it's impossible, but don't let that stop you. I love that. Um, <laughs> but it also makes me think like, and he, he brings up that Loki, he's already done the impossible. He's time traveled in a place that has no time. So this is something I need them to resolve in the finale is, what because they've been playing with what is the nature of time in the TVA tying into what we were just talking about because we do know there do seem to be different time points because Loki can time slip between them. There are points where there's Kang statuary or murals and points where that's taken away or covered up. Um, there are points where people have been made to forget, it seems like multiple times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't hmm. I guess my other big question too is if the loom, you know, we're, we, we've talked about the purpose of the TVA. It's to, it's so that he who remains can maintain control over the universe and keep other Kang variants from taking over. But we still don't understand how the loom plays a role in that specifically. And they are, they're always talking about saving the TVA and making sure that the loom works. But in the in the episode three, the loom was to harness the energy and and it was kind of a dynamo of some kind, a way to, to generate energy. So I don't necessarily understand the mechanics of what's happening. If, if he who remains made the loom and the loom isn't something that exists naturally within the, you know, the physical, you know, in the space of time and space, right. That it's not a naturally mm-hmm. occurring phenomenon. Why then is the universe starting to break down? Why are we getting spaghettification? What happened in the, what did the loom do to the time streams? I thought the time, I would have just assumed from everything that they've told me so far that the time streams would just be a giant ball of, of time string out there. And, right. you know, maybe some parallel, some ones next to each other would have some incursions, but what, what happened that is causing all timelines now to devo- to dissolve to 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 break apart right exactly yeah so and i guess yeah. that's the science and the fiction of this story right, right? <laughs> well yeah so obi another thing he says doesn't sound like science uh, or sorry uh, loki says to him doesn't sound like science right. and he responds no but sounds like fiction and he says science is the what and the how and fiction is the why which we get answered later with uh, sylvie but i was also wondering if you know, because later on he he 
leans into the, so it is fiction part. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking of simulation theory. Are you familiar yes. with it? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a multiverse theory, basically, that says that um, we could be living, us in our real world, we could be just as likely or even more likely living in a simulation uh, that's created by some far advanced version of ourselves uh, and that, yeah, we, I, we would never be able to distinguish it from reality. So right. I'm wondering if there's that angle that's going to be worked here. Maybe not. I would kind of like it. How would you feel about that? Uh, it makes me think of, I'll answer your question in a long way, <laughs> as I usually do, is that there's a part of a Hindu mythology, as I understand it, is that there's a, a giant god who's asleep and dreaming, and every so often a lotus flower uh, grows out of uh, its belly button that then opens up a flower with uh, sort of a god that we can relate to. Uh, being sitting there, and then as that God opens its eyes, it creates the world and, and experiences and sees the world, and it closes its eyes. The flower, go, you know, closes up, and then shrinks back down, and that sort of it repeats over and over again. So the idea of uh, kind of a simulationist theory thing is it's been around for a while. I would, in some variations of firms, I think we're looking at simulation theory now because of gameplay right because of computer gameplay we can have right the npcs and you know and our second lives and and all of these kinds of things i really do think though that this question of being able to write your own story this is a thesis of the show you mm-hmm. know what what does it take for you as a person to write your own story within the realm that we live in and part of the face turn for loki is is that he's discovering that that's that's a truth, right? That's a that's a truth that that he can um, uh, tap into, and by extension, we all have some authorial. You know, I guess that's an argument. You know, whether you're doing determinism or whether you're doing simulation theory or free will, there's all those questions there, and what what authorial uh, authority do we have over our own lives? And I guess I think that's where some of the nutrition of the show again as i as i used that metaphor last episode that's what we're that's what makes this season interesting is, is that it's it's question it's making a bunch of uh, questions and and mm-hmm. thesis statements about those things so i i like i i want to see character arc i want to see character growth and so that mm-hmm. i guess the the long answer to your question is is i i kind of like this mm-hmm. this is what i want Right. This okay. is what I want the show to be exploring. I want. I want. But all you my, were worried that it was like too soft with the the delivery. Reali- yeah. Okay. The, the way that they played it out. Right. You know, like this conversation was pretty good, and then it was just later. It was just sort of like, oh, the secret was always within you. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's the valid answer. That's great, but it's I, I don't know. It, okay. Where's the line that you have to draw as a show? creator to uh to serve your audience and and not make it too hard i mean we're not you know we don't want to over we even get this in this scene here with the cup and the pens like they're they're trying to do time mechanics by Mm -hmm. you know explaining it with basic real world objects and i thought that that's good that was like a good Mm -hmm. exposition moment right it went on a little long i got it pretty quick but you know um, um i i appreciated that 
Yeah. Uh, I also love in this scene, he has like this electric shocky stick. <laughs> and first of all, I don't know why he has it, yeah, but exactly. it also, mm. it kind of makes you think of the TVA pruning sticks, but even more so it makes me think of the, uh, the shocky sticks from Werewolf by Night, which uh, when right. we first saw the trailers, we all thought were going to be prune- TVA pruning sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So we've got the assignment to get the band back together. So Loki slips away accidentally, uh, but he goes back to his bestie who doesn't realize he's his bestie and is about to be the weirdo stalker, crazy talker with a tool in his <laughs> hand on the head until a glitchy time door suddenly opens and OB steps through. He has spent the last 19 months building a janky temp pad, uh, losing his job, wife and house in the process. His life is more ruined than that time Sylvie killed He Who Remains, but he doesn't <laughs> seem to mind. Uh, using the temp pad, they collect B-15 and Casey and fill them in, but Loki informs them they're still missing one person. So, how freaked out would you be if Loki showed up, did a hair flip at your house, and said, <laughs> come with me if you want to save reality? <laughs> he really does have the hair flip maneuver down, doesn't he? <laughs> so many scenes, he does that, you know, sort of, whoosh. I can see the direction, I can hear the director. Okay, Tom, hair flip. Action. Yeah, he's like, I got this. <laughs> If we assume that I'm not podcasting about the show and Loki shows mm-hmm. up and I'm just sort of living a Monday in life, I think I would be pretty freaked out. Yeah. I, I don't know how. I think the the reaction of the record store owner, I believe his name was Lyle, when he looks out the window and there's just mm-hmm. disbelief, like what? How, there's just no way that my brain could comprehend the fact that this plexiglass, you know, aged plexiglass thing suddenly appears with somebody walking out of it, there would just be no way. It would be like, uh, I could Im- I'm trying to imagine like what it'd be like if you were suddenly seeing somebody roll up in a, a giant ship, you know, wooden ship with wooden sails with, you know, sticks that produce thunder kind of stuff. Like there's just no way to, if aliens landed, could I process it the sa- in the same way? It's just so beyond my capability of understanding that Hmm. I think I would probably freak out and pass out. (laughs) (laughs) But that's assuming that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who's got a whole bunch of role-playing game books on the shelf behind me and, you know, all of that stuff. So we're primed for, you know, the fantastical to happen, but I don't know. Yeah. I think I would be, I would probably be OB about it, but like, tell me more. No, but that's actually, <laughs> I, I, I joke about that. But to be honest, um, I can think of incidences where people did come up and say things to me that where I just knew they're not connected with the same reality that I'm in right now. Right. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's very unnerving. Very you just can't see it. Worried. Do you know the podcast, uh, um, uh, not Science Friday, um, Oh, I'm blanking the name on it. Anyway, they did a really cool podcast. Was it Science Versus? No. Oh. Um, I'll remember it in a minute, of course. Uh, but they did a really cool, uh, Robert Kohlrich and uh, Jad Abenrod are the, the hosts oh, of Oh, Radiolab. Radiolab. They did a great episode on color and mm-hmm. the ability to see and identify color. And until you can identify it, you can't see it kind of thing. This, this uh, bootstrappy sort of thing, like. You know, when when can you identify color? And the I think, you know, if in the Odyssey they talk, you know, Homer is always writing this line over and over again, the wine dark mm-hmm. sea. But, you know, there's some evidence that blue was not a color that was identified linguistically for a long time. So can you see something? 
Yeah. So, you know, could I see a UFO fly by uh, if I didn't have, you know, words for it? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of having words for something, it is funny. Uh, there, we've got another possible bootstrap of Boris uh, where Loki <laughs> says, Loki says to You're Mobius. You're right at heart, aren't you? <laughs> you love words. He says, uh, a beautiful union of form and functions. Nice. And then that's obviously how jet skis were described to Loki by Mobius. But right. which came first? Right. And Mobius, I was reading the Wikipedia article about Mo Mobius strips or Mobius loops uh, today. Mm -hmm. And I like this, uh, this idea, this, this three-dimensional object that slides around the surface of the strip isn't mirrored, but instead returns to the same point on the strip on what appears locally to be the other side, showing that both right. positions are really part of a single side. Exactly. So how is Mobius single-sided? You know, yeah. it, it, I don't think the show is a Mobius strip. I because that's I think it is. I think that that, that the timeline is twisting back around. Interesting, back on itself. Okay, and in a way that does. And I'm sorry, this is this is a dark spoiler. I keep bringing up, but it's, <laughs> but, there, it, but there Good is, show. yeah, there in that you know you have like the two time loops that go through each other, and I think right we're dealing with a similar similar situation maybe one where ramona is uh you know the triumphant maybe one where kang is maybe one where loki is mm, interesting the the reason i would argue against the show being a mobius loop is that we have growth but i suppose you could argue i, I can argue myself out of that uh if i take what you're saying now which is that as he comes around on the other side Right, he's now on a different facing of himself in a way. Loki does. I'm just thinking of is is Loki growing? That's not necessarily that's progression, not mm -hmm. looping. Um, but if he's looping and he's going on both sides of his nature, right, hero trickster, then then maybe the show could work in that regard. Just again, going on the theory that the show is about the face turn. Ultimately, it's about right. the face turn uh, right. more than anything else. Well, I love that. Um you know, he gives Loki gives Mobius the Doctor Who like promise, like I can bring you back to any yes. moment, like you never <laughs> left, which often doesn't work out in Doctor Who. But anyway, <laughs> but it's but it's actually the name Mobius that seems yes. to convince him to go along. He's <laughs> like uh, when he meets Casey slash Frank, how are you doing? I'm done. I guess Mobius is my space name. <laughs> <laughs> Owen will and only Owen Wilson could deliver that line and right. uh, carry it meaningfully, right? I don't think anybody else could actually it has the the right gravity to to be able to pull that off. Very funny, right? Exactly. A question too about this real name when when Loki confronts him and says, "You know, your real name is is Mobius." Mm -hmm. What is a real name? I mean, I Dawn in that timeline is a variant. That's a that's a branched right. timeline, right? So, what's real? Is Mobius real? It's real to Loki, but right. it's not but real to to dawn yeah. but then is there an objective reality that no this guy is really mobius in all permutations is that the truth of the matter i don't know it's a i think yeah loki wants him to be mobius so that's okay. what's it's we're seeing loki's selfishness here that we mm. have talked about later yeah that's a really good point that's it's actually very true and that's the reality to loki is that you're mobius not dawn so that's real as opposed to not real right exactly by the way, so when the 
crew gathers for this like heist looking situation mm-hmm. um did you notice so casey pockets some device i, I wasn't sure what it is and I'm wondering if it was going to be relevant or is just to make us suspicious of him later I saw that the first time I watched it when it first aired. And then when I was doing my second watch this morning, doing my notes, I missed that scene, but I was like running on time. So uh, I'm running out of time. So I I didn't go back to look for what he pocketed. So I I don't think that's a, I don't know. Is that, is that a shadow or is that something on purpose? Because typically that stuff is on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just keeping an eye on it. We'll see if it comes back in the Fair finale. Enough. Yeah. But I, I love that Don's always on even when he's <laughs> <laughs> even when he's here for their space heist. He's selling jet skis to B fifteen and he's like <laughs> It's nice to get out on a pond and unplug. Hit that reset button. <laughs> but this phrasing, hit that reset button mm. stood out in my head because oh, I okay. feel like that's what they're saying Loki has to do right now. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that with Dawn, it, he's... What, what, is the, what is the ski-doo, jet-ski, personal watercraft represent? It's uh, a type of freedom, mm-hmm. right? You know, feel, are you ready for your Poseidon moment? Feel that right. you know, water splashing you on the face. Because he's, you're, what are you doing? You're, you're just living in, in, in exuberance, in entertainment. You're being, experiencing the world away from all your troubles and cares. That's what it represents. And so is that the er nature of, of Mobius, AKA Dawn? Is that the, you know, if Lokis are always destined to fail, is, is, is this something that's essential to the Mobius character that he's yearning for a sense of freedom, you know, letting go of the cares of life? Yeah, yeah. So Loki is told the rest of the gang that they're missing one person and it is now time for Tough Truths with Sylvie. Uh, Loki Loki goes <laughs> to your morning talk show. Oh, yeah. uh, coffee with Sylvie, <laughs> Tough Truths. I think that that's what you would call it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you like it is. Loki goes to 1982 Broxton to Oklahoma to collect Sylvie, Sophia DiMartino from her McDonald's job. And he distracts her from a, from worrying about what's happened to her takeout bag, which has spaghettified away while she was fiddling with her keys. Sylvie actually recognizes Loki, unlike the others, because she remembers everything. She takes him to a bar where she rejects his mission to restore the TVA. And there are accusations of selfishness. And Sylvie forces Loki to confront his true motives. Loki admits that he's trying to save the TVA because what he really wants to save is his friendships. So Loki goes back to the crew alone and Sylvie goes to chill in her favorite record shop and listen to Velvet Underground. But while she's there, the whole world starts to spaghetti apart. Yep. (laughs) Spaghetti pie. (laughs) The whole world starts to spaghetti (laughs) apart. (laughs) And using her he who remains temp pad, Sylvie goes to find Loki and the gang. All right. Big scene here. Big stuff. So I think my biggest question was how did Sylvie keep her memories in my head exactly. is that she's a god. And so somehow she's uh, able to, she's not mortal in, in a mundane way. I don't know. Is that what you, what do you? I mean, I have the same question because I was also wondering why later on we see that she does finally, it, like in this scene, she mm-hmm. stays whole. She doesn't spaghettify. 
um, right. even though everything around her does. And then later we see Loki's the only one who stays whole and she does spaghettify. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering what are the rules when it comes to the Loki's with this whole situation? Right. That's a really good point because uh, she does uh, also disintegrate. Yeah. The mechanics are a little confusing there. So hopefully yeah. we'll we'll land the plane as Jean yeah. as Jean said the plane will be landed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean I can <laughs> so see why Loki would be a little bit different because of his whole he already had that whole time slipping thing, which I'm guessing we're going to get a we're going to get an answer about what caused that. But okay. I guess the and the fact he had to pull himself out of time to stop it from happening is probably why he was left behind. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I still I want more clarification, please. <laughs> So cute little ring there with the Xeniac game. Yeah. Uh, so. And they even use Brad's voice. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice. Yeah. That's so good. in this, it's a different timeline. It's a branch timeline. It's mm-hmm. not the sacred one where, uh, you know, our Brad was, but uh, apparently the Xeniac was a big movie here and it became a video game. Yep. There you go. Yeah. I thought that this conversation was, again, the heart of the episode, just like the conversation with Sylvie and Loki in the last episode was the the heart of the episode. And there's a, a lot to unpack here. I th- One of my first thoughts was, and I, and I sort of questioned this with Mobius's quote unquote real name, is, you know, what is a, a real life? Are, are variations real or, are, but I guess they're only variations relative to the sacred timeline, right? Right. Because relative to where you are, it's like getting a map that's produced in another part of the world. You know, the, the center of the map is from whoever makes the map from their point of view. So right. a branch timeline relative to what? Relative to the sacred timeline, but isn't the sacred right. timeline just a, another variant timeline relative to the others right it's just the one that he who remains decided was the one because that's the one he won that he Mm -hmm. won the war in (laughs) right you know so yeah vic to victors go the spoils i guess victor timely um not intentional so i'm sure that victor part must be yeah Mm, interesting uh but then when she's talking about being selfish i want a life i want to live Mm-hmm. And boom, there it is, the little onk symbol in her earring, right? And I think we've got some feedback from Marilyn about onks and Ouroboruses uh, coming up. But we definitely see her onk earring in the bar scene. And then she declares, I want to live, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, the you know part of the thesis of the show is what is life? What is it to, right. to live a life? Right. And when Loki comes around and is able to finally identify what it is that is important to him, which is he wants to have his friends and he doesn't want to be alone, you know, that sort of makes me think of of who we are as human beings is that we exist within community. I don't know myself if I don't know you. I know myself through my relationship with you, how mm-hmm. you relate to me. And that ping-ponging back and forth, not only of, you know, you on the other side of the world through the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the dimension out, the two dimensions of our, our time door here, but, you know, to all the people that, are, that I live my life with, is it, it's community. Mm-hmm. But then that community is part, that's a fictional element because we're writing a story of ourselves. How we understand ourselves is by 
come in right. conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And and how we know each other is is through um, this the narrative story that we tell each other. What do we do when we get together with old friends? We relive the old times. We retell the stories, and that's how we remember ourselves. And so this whole idea of Loki coming around to um, understanding what's really motivating him and what's important to him is to not be alone, to have friends and to have community, that is life. And I think that's what Sylvie is representing in this conversation with her onk earring is, you know, to live life and to want to live life is to a degree selfish as well. Right. Yeah, and she accuses Loki of being selfish for wanting to, you know, tell all the others about this other life that they led on the TVA. And mm-hmm. I I have to disagree with her on that because I do okay. always think the best thing is to give people all the information. But she makes an interesting point. You know, she says you're ripping people from their lives, showing them something they cannot unsee. So right. do we have the responsibility to protect people from certain knowledge because it will change the way they see the world Mm -hmm. and i i mean i think different people would have different ones on that like some people don't want to know they just want to be able to stay plugged into the matrix so to speak uh i would definitely put me back in (laughs) (laughs) i I don't want to remember uh speaking Mm -hmm. of the matrix and it i'm also it makes me think of star trek and the prime directive that they have through whatever conversations and and uh science and qualitative and quantitative science have have made a line that says pre-warp civilizations don't get contacted you know we stay out of it uh until they are warp capable when they can realize that there's a greater world out there then we have protocols by which we do this because when we do do it when we take somebody out of the matrix too soon it's not good the brain is not you know capable of of dealing with that reality so there's a point there that sylvie has is is that you know what do you do and so when loki goes back and says sorry gang you know i told you that you guys were all integral to saving the life universe and everything but nope you just got to go back to your normal mundane lives (laughs) what the hell yeah you can't bring me here and walk (laughs) me through a time door and then just go oh never mind i've seen what i've seen like you said right did uh did you think that the interrogation where she's like, well, what do you really want? What do you really want? Did you think it was, I thought it was maybe leading to a love confession. A love, con- in, say more. But it more. stopped short of that. Like, I thought it was going to be, I want you, is oh. the answer. And oh. then I felt like at the end of the episode, you know, it's her who, when she disintegrates, that's when he right. can reach in and find that inner thing. So. Um, can it be a non-romantic love? Can it be? Does it have to be? Does it have to be romantic? You mean, or I mean, does it have to be non-romantic? Why not romantic? Uh, because I want it to, <laughs> to be non-romantic. I don't know. I don't need everybody to be shipping all the time. But it's not. I mean, but there's no, there's no other romance in this entire show. So which is fine with be? me. I, I like. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm, fine. I'm, but you know. I do have a problem that pe- a lot of people now are like, s- s- just, I hear a lot more often like, oh no, but let's not have any romance. Like, no, I, I do want, it's, it's good for there to also be platonic relationships, yeah. like mm-hmm. what Loki and Mobius have, what, mm-hmm. you know, they have with B-15 and OB and all the rest of them are platonic relationships. But I do want romance in my storytelling. 
that's sure. an, for me an important part of life. And I wonder yeah, if the, I, the it, connection if it's between a swing, these two. If if it's just if I, I'm looking at my reaction and and I maybe mm-hmm. I'm pushing farther away from it just because in most other in a lot of the television that we've had in the past, it always ends up. I mean, if we look at the the Friends example, you know, and sorry about Matthew Perry, but mm-hmm. um, don't a lot of them end up getting paired up with each other? It's like, oh, is that, is yeah, that the inevitable but, on, outcome? That's Friends, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So you know, maybe I'm just. I think I'm over. Mm-hmm. I'm ha- I'm I'm swinging on the pendulum away from the the romance. But and I don't disagree that you know that romance is a part. So uh, I I wasn't personally i wasn't requiring that their ro- relationship be romantic based i i think you can the idea of just having a very very intense friendship with somebody is is equally important to me and enjoyable to see sure absolutely but for me these two based on everything that's been built <laughs> up on them in two seasons Got i ship them to put okay. it in internet speak <laughs> fair enough um, fair enough but i do still wonder if there's some sliver of a chance that a general docs could mm-hmm. be a future sylvie in some way and that there might be a reason why she felt last episode why she didn't deserve her own life in the timeline just that's interesting it was it was it was an early theory that was just purely based on the fact that the actresses look alike. So, you know, and that Docs take was that for so uh, insistent on finding Sylvie and, and taking mm-hmm. her out. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just I, putting I, it out there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know that I need it, but yeah. I don't. Can, I don't. But it could be. Right. Let's talk about the record shop. Yeah. Yeah. So many Easter eggs in there. (laughs) (laughs) I was really focused on a couple of things. Obviously, the song and the hook of that song is uh, a big part of it. I I think I was more into that than than some of the... What what are some of the Easter eggs? You had some specific ones? There's some fun Easter eggs in here from the end credits, uh, but we'll talk about that later uh, at a future time when we talk about the end credits. Okay, cool. So this song, Oh Sweet Nothing by the Velvet Underground, this is the last song on the second side of the 1970s albums called Loaded. And it was interesting because this is the last album that was released by the Velvet Underground before the band sort of spaghettified itself and it Mm -hmm. sort of unraveled and came apart. And Lou Reed had actually left the band months prior to the album being released and the album the studio really wanted it this out and they really pushed the band to make an album that was going to have a lot of radio hits on it and so the mm-hmm. the the title loaded is kind of a double meaning joke obviously they wanted it to be to be loaded with hits but then it's also about getting loaded getting high you know, right. you know consuming uh, drugs or alcohol so the song itself is about people who've lost everything. And as you put in the notes here, I like the way you put it, unbound from responsibility. Right. And I think it's a very bittersweet song because it's about suffering and poverty at the same time as this question of freedom. Because it, the guitar solo, it's very not triumphant. But it elevates and it elevates your mood and it sort of is a big pickup and then sort of ends on this bittersweet note. So if you don't have anything, you're free. But right. 
that kind of freedom can kind of suck too, you know, if right. you're unhoused and, and dealing mm-hmm. and, and living, living rough. And so I think that kind of freedom too has a, a bittersweet nature to it. Because if you're free, are you, are you free from relationships? Are you free from community? Right. Are you free from the things that bind you uh, to this world, uh, love and, and relationship and community? Right. And that's a, exactly what Sylvie needs to ask herself right now. Is that, does she really want that kind of freedom, that kind of lonely freedom? Yeah. Oh, I, I actually thought about that, actually, because that's the way, the life that she has been living, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sort She's of, been a vagabond between uh, different apocalypses, even. Right. And just going out and, <laughs> and causing a lot of death and destruction. Right. Uh, but yeah, living, living alone and living without mm-hmm. community. So. But yeah, she doesn't have much time to ponder this. Um, because then a, we see a man walking in and at first I thought he might've done something, but then I realized that like, he was just a customer who spaghettified himself and right. then the coffee starts pouring and I realized yeah. it must be because the mug spaghettified yep. and, uh, then everything just falls apart. Right. And it starts the, yeah, it starts the starting from the McDonald's bag going out. We're starting to see the, the, the universe starting mm-hmm. to spaghettify. So there's two shots that. I have to talk about here in this show. Otherwise it wouldn't be me. Um, one is in the, in uh, Doug, AD Doug's uh, workshop. And one is here in the record store. And since we're here at the, the record store, I'll talk about this first. So the shot starts out directly overhead of her putting the record down on the platter. And then mm-hmm. it pans, it pulls back up and then the camera pulls forward to the top of the screen as uh, Sylvie sits back in the couch. And as she lays back in the couch, her head, her whole body movement is in sync with this camera. Mm-hmm. And then the hook, we hear the hook of the, of the song and we, and so that you get that emotional punch and then her eyes kind of open up and she's like, Oh, this song is mm-hmm. hitting me in my soul. Right. And then the camera moves back and, and then comes down and pivots so that we're horizontal to her. And her body follows the camera as it moves her head. You see her head slowly mm-hmm. pick up track with the camera and then come down. It's such good camera work. It's exceptional. It's, it's giving us emotional stakes. It's bringing us into the mind of the character. It's putting ourselves in different perspectives. And then for the actor to be acting with the camera, brilliant. It, it was just, it's just a, a brilliant scene. Um, and, you know, and the whole metaphor of the, the record spinning itself. Yeah. And then later when the spaghetti is happening, the camera then spins with the record until the, the record and the camera sink in at, so that the record label is at the top. So it's oriented to frame. It's, it's really incredible, uh, just really inspired camera work. And I have to say, of anything yeah. of this season, this has been some of the most confident filmmaking that I've, I've seen in a long time. I will yeah. point out two minor notes. Mm-hmm. The needle is in the wrong place for when the song starts, because right. she does have it on the second side. I did freeze frame, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it says but, side two. But maybe in this universe, the song was first. <laughs> maybe. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. It's the last song. And so obviously, um, but also mm-hmm. in the overhead shot, you can see her bracelet and it, it's not the same bracelet as the one that she got from He Who Remains, the big round disc. She's wearing a bracelet. 
It's just not that one. And mm. I don't know if that was like a little, you know, slip or something. It's just more of a uh, kind of a bejeweled bracelet all around. It doesn't look exactly like the one that we see. Was it on the same wrist? Because yes. we do see her use the, you yeah. know, that at the end of the scene. Yeah. It was on the same mm. wrist. I'm just guessing okay. that the, the costuming jewelry yeah. was probably uncomfortable to wear that big round. Thing, yeah, maybe. So. <laughs> yeah. So the other shot I want to just talk about, and this one's a lot more simple, is, is when they're in the TVA, or not, they're not in the TVA in advancement and repairs, when they're at A.D. Doug's workshop, there's mm -hmm. a shot of just before Sylvie comes in, where we start really far back, and Casey and Kehi Kwan is sitting on a, a stool reading a book, uh, reading, I think, the Time Manual. Uh, Winnie Masaku is sitting in a chair reading, you know, the Zartan condition or whatever. Mm -hmm. Loki is going, oh, it's all a mess. Casey walks out of the frame and then the camera starts a slow push in and people are walking in and out of the frame. They're talking to each other. And then the shot ends when Sylvie pops in and it's not a one -er in the sense of like, it's a huge long scene because in the scene it gets chopped up, but there's just this slow push in where it's all a single take with all of the actors doing something in the scene. And again, just expert level uh, cinematography right. here where the camera work is doing part of the work of telling the story, not just the characters reading lines or, or doing action. So, all yeah, right. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm nerd. <laughs> I'm finished my nerd out on, on camera work. All right. I think this is a, this is a show that gives you particular flavor of candy. Yeah. And um, so it's, <laughs> I'm going to have some very high sugar levels at the end of yeah. this <laughs> season. Well, speaking of this awesome spaghettification, let's lean into the spaghetti time apocalypse. Yes. And uh, we've got Loki. He comes back to the crew after this talk with Sylvie and he's like calling it all off and he gets all sulky. But then Sylvie shows up because she's fleeing her universe falling apart. But just as Doug notices that his temp pad is missing, the world begins to go noodles all around Loki. And finally, even his friends start to go one friend at a time. Last is Sylvie. But uh, Loki, he's unaffected physically. He's clawing at the noodles in the air, trying to stop it from falling apart until in desperation, he finally intentionally time slips. But not in that flailing way. He just kind of mind slips back to a previous moment just as Sylvie arrives just shortly before all this happened. Loki has officially become a living tempad. So he... <laughs> he is the Quizzage Hatterack. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, manages to slip back to the moment before the TVA blew up. Fan. Was this... Did this cut close to the snap for you? Or were you okay with the... What do you mean? How so? Well, it's like the snap in the sense of, you know, everything, you know, disappearing and, and turning... Not the visual effect of it, but the story effect of, you know, er losing everything and everything being taken away from you, or at least half of everything being taken. It's a big plot device, you know. You mean like at the beginning of the episode when? No, just the, the idea that, you know. Uh, oh, if, if the spaghettification ending, had happened. Yeah. yeah. The spaghettification um, and the snap. The spaghettification, not necessarily intentional. It's like an accident, mm -hmm. whereas the snap is intentional, but they're both things that fundamentally alter I mean, the world and take people away from you. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't really compare them because the snap and the blip that followed, that was like a whole five year thing. And this mm -hmm. just like lasts a moment, okay. you know, and then it's undone immediately. So for me, it doesn't, it doesn't really compare. 
Okay. It doesn't, they're not, they're not at the same level for you in terms of device. Well, no, because like they, the thing about the snap is they really just ended an Avengers movie with that. They're just like, snap, mm-hmm. half the world disappears, end credits. And, and you have to, you had to wait, like, what was it, like two years until mm-hmm. we got that resolved? And in, in their own world, there, were, there was a five year gap. So this is something that, uh, the people who lost their worlds, all the many variants, you know, that obviously is devastating to them, but that's been happening this entire time. The TVA just does that all the time. That's how we started this story. And when it comes to our main characters, yeah, it was immediately undone. So, I, you know, obviously for a moment I was like, what's going on? But I knew obviously they're not killing off every character except Loki on this show. So sort of both fruit, but not apples and apples or oranges and oranges. Right. Not, not comparable in your book. Got it. Cool. Yeah. So when Loki is grasping at the noodles, which beautiful imagery, right? And just beautiful acting and, and, and the CGI work of being able to get the noodles into his hands, because I don't know mm-hmm. how you, you know, dummy that there's, you know, did they have a bunch of green screen noodles go by or something? But it, it looked yeah. really good. But it was interesting to hear the background quotes. I turned on for my second viewing, I turned on the closed captioning and the quotes that I picked up on it were A.D. Doug saying it's a fiction problem. Mm -hmm. Sylvie at first saying it's all falling apart. And then later, what's wrong with wanting something? And then Don Mobius uh, saying he has to go back to see his boys. Dr. Willis, B-15, I looked happy. Casey, actually, I think. Loki says where something about like, where are you really from? And then Casey says, oh, TVA or it's vice versa. But it, the, the implication was, is that Casey's home is the TVA uh, in, in regards, at least that's the way I'm headcanning it. And then finally, Sylvie says, when we hear this pretty clearly, do you think what makes a Loki is that we're destined to lose? And boom, that's when Loki intentionally time slips. Right. And so it's the, I think this is the moment of the face turn, right? Right. And you ask a good question here in the notes that I also have myself is mm-hmm. this time it seems to be different in that he seems to jump back into his own body, but other times it's like him moving his whole body. So I, I guess that's, I'm just writing it off as a visual trick unless they tell me otherwise next week. Well, didn't AD Doug say something about your, it's evolving and that you're not only moving in time, but you're moving in space? Right. But he was doing that already because that's, well, he's not only, it's not only time and space, but he's moving like across timelines. So across that's, time a, that's, lines, a, right. that's a whole. Because like, earlier on dimension. in the season, was he just in, he was just slipping inside of the TBA into right. like b- before and after things. So right. yeah. So now he's able to jump into himself. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty fantastic. But feat. he can also, but he can also jump his entire body to a completely different timeline. So right. I'm wondering, like, there are characters. If this is not a simulation, if this is the real world, well, first of all, first question is: Will there be any mention of incursions in this mm-hmm. show? I'm wondering. Right. And second question is like, if this is a skill that Loki keeps. You know, what does that mean for characters like, for instance, the character America Chavez uh, from Multiverse of Madness? 
Uh, she was added because she has the ability to portal between realities. So that's mm-hmm. an important skill. But now Isn't Loki that, and I think we, we see evidence of that in one of the trailers of uh, the Marvels movie, right? They, they're getting punched across uh, time dimensions or something. Right. Well, they're entangled because mm-hmm. of the because of their powers and these bangles and whatever's right. going on with this Kree uh, wormhole. But that's something else. But this is just a character okay. uh, because that's that's within the same with them. It's within the same universe, at least there, it's mm-hmm. time and space. They're moving between for different reasons. But this right. is now somebody who can apparently jump universes on his own, mm-hmm. which uh, I, yeah, I need to know what are the limits and consequences of this. Agreed. Agreed. I think I said this last episode was how they can bring everybody back and restore the universe to as it was, but they got to do it right. Right. They're, they're, it, it needs to have had consequence and it has to have some sort of logical consistency to it. It got stolen somehow. Uh, that's a good question. They didn't show us. I don't, I don't think I have any yeah. evidence. And the only thing that I have evidence for is spaghettification. Yeah. It must be. Because they kept showing us that, even though, and I'm wondering if they were just pulling their shots, because they had a lot of money, to, they had to spend a right. lot of money on effects <laughs> on this. With like the coffee cup and stuff. Exactly. So do we need do we need to see this? You know, we saw the McDonald's bag begin to spaghettify, but then we jumped mm-hmm. away before it finishes, or the coffee cup, they just cut it out entirely. Was that budget reasons or or not? So I'm my assumption is, is that it was just... But maybe, you know, the Purple Grinch is sitting somewhere with the uh, a bag of McDonald's yeah. <laughs> and a temp pad playing around. Well, I right? think I think because they did show us, you know, how with limited viewpoints, how unnerving this can be. And they also did that sometimes yes. with like, layering the dialogue over visual cuts so that, you know, you're jumping in your mind before you're seeing what's happening in right. this other time. Right. Uh, credit sequence, they made a few changes to. Did you notice at the very end of the credits, we get like the very last, you have to let it play all the way to the end. We uh, get that Zaniac voice, Brad, again, that says, you died. Insert your coin, loser. Like all the way at the end, mm-hmm. past all of the translation services credits? Mm, might be before translation. Okay. My browser was acting really weird. The Disney app, is terrible for scrubbing and for pausing. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. one of my least favorites to do uh, scene breakdowns for because it's just so crude. Um, and especially trying to scrub back just a couple of frames, you've got to go the full whatever it is, 10 or 15 seconds. So I, was try- I saw that in the notes and I was trying to, to find where it was, but I couldn't find it. And then my browser, Disney kept pushing the minimizing the credits into the small window and, and putting the, the screen up for like, watch this next. And it kept mm-hmm. doing that as I kept scrubbing. So something yeah, in the, yeah. in the timeline was like, it really annoyed me. Yeah. So I hate I, how I they was, immediately do that. I, I'm yeah. Sometimes it's handy, but a lot of the time it's like, I want to see the credits. Stop it. <laughs> yes. I want to hear the song that you're playing. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's yeah. more often than not. I want to hear the music that, you know, I want to linger in the music. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait 15 seconds for you to, you know, push your next thing on me. So, right. Anyway, complaints, complaints, complaints. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing. You know, there's ringing in my head, uh, like the whole, you just need to press reset, you know, when uh, Mobius yeah. said that about the jet oh, ski. Is, like, was this yeah. your theory that you, you were teasing at the beginning? Well, no, of, uh, my that was the simulation theory. But oh, okay. Got it. I, I, this is more than a theory. I, I think that I'm pretty sure they're telling us Loki needs to hit reset on the okay. TVA. 
And, you know, is he going to do the TVA, right? I mean, that was the big conversation between him and Sylvie was order versus chaos, right? Is the TVA the best bureaucratic, you know, is that the best solution is to, to create a bureaucracy to, uh, to do what, you know, to yeah. stop? Is it, is it to preserve a single timeline or is it to stop Kang? What's the motivation here? I think that's a valid question to ask. Is it, are we just trying to stop yeah. the Kangs? And does it matter if you are trying to stop a villain? Might you still become a villain yourself in doing so? Right. Yeah. And that's the danger of any authority that it will evolve and devolve over time into something that isn't so great for a lot of people, ultimately. Right. Speaking of uh, post-credit scenes, one of the things that I noticed to, in this watch, when I was trying to find the, <laughs> the Zaniac little thing, I noticed that the, in the credit scenes, all of the scenes we're seeing are stuff that we, we see in the show, right? One of the things that we see right at the end of the credit sequence is a fireplace in the um, whatever the palace castle thing is that he who remains has at the end of time. But it's lit. The fireplace is going. And when we've been there in this season, it's cold and dead. So there's a lit fire that. I was wondering if that is going to mean anything like, you know, okay. what, and, and they start, don't they start this episode on the previously on with he who remains saying every path that you've, you know, you, right, the exactly. path that you walking, I've laid it out for you. That's right. the first scene in the previously on in every this step you took to get here. I paved the road. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So I feel like we're not done with that, even though, if Mar if Marvel Studios had wanted to wrap up the the Kang timeline, you know, spaghettifying Victor Timely was a, a convenient way to you know uh, right. remove an actor from but that's the just, property. But that's just one. Yeah, I think we're going to see him in the finale. He was credited for three episodes, and it makes okay. sense that I'm assuming that we're going to go back to the Void next week. Uh, okay. That we're going to see Renslayer probably D ninety two. Uh, I believe in you, D90. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, well, that yeah. would make sense then because the, the end credit sequence is roughly linear. The The scenes that we see playing out in that seem to have a linearity to them. So if that lit fireplace is there, then that would make sense for episode six to have some sort of uh, scene in that location. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully a comeuppance for Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see... What's the actor's name again? Uh, I don't have it at my fingertips. Anyway, I uh, want to see him. Raphael Cassell? Yeah, Raphael Cassell. I hope we see him in some more stuff, uh, just in general. He's He's been a real re revelation. So Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we've got a bunch of feedback, so we should probably turn our minds to that. But first, let's take a quick break. And we're back. All right, let's get into some feedback. First up, we've got a voicemail from Dork of the Ninjas. So I did not get to the most recent episode of Loki until yesterday. But I will say I had probably one of the optimal viewing experiences, and I wanted to just give my thoughts on the series, how it's going until... So this is episode four I'm talking about. So 
me and my partner watch the series over Discord because we don't live near each other. And we usually have video chat going while we're going, just watching the show. And something that very interesting happened where the moment where Victor Timely got spaghettified, I saw it half a few, like a second or two before my partner did. So I turn, look at the camera, and I see it happen on her screen. And I get to see her reaction. And I re- and we and I, this is that moment I realized this is probably one of my favorite shows running right now. Not <laughs> nice MCU favorite running MCU shows, not favorite superhero shows, but one of my favorite shows because that completely subverted my expectations wow. in the best way possible. I completely expected, oh, Victor might die, but he'll die after he gets the device in place and it has a dramatic moment of the thing being sent off and saving the day. But no, it completely caught me off guard that everything failed and we're left at the end of the episode. Where do we go from here? This is, it was, it was the moment where I was, I went from thinking this is a good show to this is a great show. And wow. I'm just hoping that a lot of MCU stuff going forward can hold this quality. But the sad fact is, from what I understand about Echo, when it does come out next year, it has been kind of a, a mess. And I'm Rumors. hoping you're wrong about that. And I'm hoping it ends up <laughs> you're wrong. Okay, show, but I don't want to have. He to said be this before the trailer. Show, MCU, show, MCU show in and realizing, oh, I'm not going to finish this like I did with Secret Evasion. I gave up three episodes in on that show, and I'm perfectly happy that I did. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it, and hopefully I can get episode five in before y'all's pod comes on. Maybe say something on there, too. You have a good one, guys. Bye. Thanks, Dirk. Uh, yes, you probably recorded this, <laughs> as Alicia said, before the Echo trailer came out. So we would love to hear your Echo thoughts. So definitely send that in next time. What did you think about uh, his estimation in terms of it being one of the best shows out there right now, Alicia? Yeah, no, I've been saying that. I absolutely agree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be high in my list. I, I don't know if it's going to break my top five, though, because I've got some other stuff that's uh, crowding it up there. But I think it's definitely going to be in my top 10 for sure. So I, I, I'm really glad that we've had a strong show, even though there's mixed reaction out there. I, I hear I, I've heard folks um not enjoying this season which i i don't understand because the criticisms that they're leveling it, it i know that they're watching the show but it's like what show are you watching because you're missing stuff that that it seems obvious to me i don't know the, the scrutiny in the mcu right now is ridiculous i was just seeing some people complaining on twitter yesterday about a clip from the marvel's movie that's coming up uh-huh. where and so in the clip they reference, we see Captain Marvel meeting Monica Rambeau, and she calls her by the name that she called her as a child, uh, Lieutenant Trouble. And then okay. she goes, oh, I, I go by Captain Rambeau now. And people were complaining like, oh, nobody's going to get this. I'm like, it's not. First of all, A, it's good to have continuity with the film that this is a sequel to, to just acknowledge that relationship. Right. And B, it's just not difficult to understand, but it's like people are just hunting for anything mm. to pick apart about the MCU right now. Like it's the cool thing to do. I was, uh, my spouse and I were watching. Not the... saying that you're doing that dork the ninja. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, and he dropped out halfway through Secret Invasion, fully justified right. as well. Because from yeah. what we know, mm-hmm. that was a, an absolute dumpster fire. That's like a classic definition of dumpster fire, right? That said, I was watching Beckham 
the documentary uh, okay. I think it's on Netflix with my my spouse and I were watching it last night. We watched about a episode and a half. And there's this whole thing where Beckham gets a red card and gets ejected out of the game, uh, one of the World Cup um, going in against uh, Argentina. And for just for for a long time, months and months and months, he's just being vilified and being assaulted, you know, just a terrible time for him uh, back home in, in England, just the hate that was was piled on him. Dumb mistake, cost the team a lot. Okay, move on, right? You're upset. Fine, let it go. And I think there's a, a tendency to be piling on MCU right now, isn't there? Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, and it's picking at every mistake and, and picking at everything. So it's it's hard. Or even of, things that aren't mistakes, just like looking for mistakes anywhere. Yes. Like, yeah. And, and I think I, I mentioned this too. And when, if you're not into the storyline, then, then you're going to find the flaws, right? You're going to pick at it. So. All right. Uh, again, you can leave a voicemail yourself if you go to our website, thelorehounds.com. Go to the contact page and there's a little button that says voicemail there and you just click that and just authorize your microphone and you just start talking and uh, that'll get emailed to us and we can drop that right into the audio. Next up is Billy, who wrote in right after episode four, uh, wrote in an email to mcu at thelorehounds.com. says, Dear Lorehounds, first off, wanted to thank you for your coverage of Loki. I hopped on after listening to the Silo podcast and have been enjoying the Woo-hoo. dynamic everyone brings to the table. I love all the in-depth discussion and theories. A Silover, a, a Silo, a Silozen, is that what you call it? Silozen, yeah. Silozen, mm-hmm. yeah. And we're going to be talking about your Wolfshift Dust podcast uh, up here tomorrow right. because you've got some stuff in the pipeline. Uh, Billy continues, I think the beauty of Loki that other Marvel shows hasn't been able to capitalize on is keeping us on our toes and really speculating on what might happen next instead of what's already happened in the show. I think that's an important distinction to make because the bigger story as a whole hasn't really been elaborated on very much in this current phase. Thoughts here? I mean, I think that this is, like I said, this show's brain candy for me. So it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much. Right. Billy continues, one theory from episode four that I didn't hear anyone bring up is when Victor gets spaghettified. My first reaction was, whoa, not unlike um, Dork of the Ninjas. I think a lot of people uh, had that, mm-hmm. <laughs> were shocked by that moment. Oh, that scream. Yeah. <laughs> My second reaction was, what if we just saw the creation of every Kang being born and spread out into the multiverse as if each strand of Victor was splitting? This could have been he who remains his plan all along. So I wonder what is the, we, we really haven't talked about spaghettification. So I wonder what. Yeah. Well, I mentioned spaghettification that. Uh, work, how it works. I mentioned last time that, you know, when they're, they're citing it as having to do with black holes, but when Hawken talks about that, when Stephen Hawkins talks about that uh, or talks about it during his lifetime, and he used the word spaghettification. He was talking about that you just get condensed down to like one giant long noodle because, you know, you're being squeezed into the black hole. So it doesn't look like this. But it, so it is interesting. I, you know, maybe they went for this uh, falling apart into a plate of spaghetti because of the visuals. That definitely looks a lot cooler. Um, I have I heard this this theory about it being the birth of all the different Kangs uh, from all the different particles. Uh, I think that was on like new rock stars or something. Okay. And yeah, I like that. I like that theory. Um, 
I don't know if that's necessarily what they'll go for. If they do, I won't be mad at it. Uh, you know, they're playing, they're playing fast and loose with the science, but they are more grounded in science than most e- even shows that call themselves sci-fi are. So, Got it. Got it. Okay. So a it, it, uh, theory that could still hold some potential. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if they bring it up in the finale, but I'm not, yeah, I, it's not, I, it's not my theory. I'm not like believing in it, but uh, yeah, it would be a cool thing. Okay. All right. Billy's got some internet points then. We'll see if we win any cereal at the end of the, uh, <laughs> at the end of the season. Another thought is that Loki will have some sort of time slip right before the loom explodes and destroys the TBA. My well. thought is that we'll see the next episodes play out almost as if we were starting with episode one all over again, but this time with a Loki that's fully aware of what's going to happen. Okay. Obviously, we've answered uh, that question with this episode. Finally, I haven't got back to count this yet, but I'd like to know how many times does mm-hmm. Loki <laughs> do the hair flip? <laughs> like now, it I seems mean. like an iconic move of the character, and I always clock it every time it happens. If, I think you if should you totally want to turn this back. into a drinking game, yeah. If you <laughs> exactly. want to make a drinking game out of Loki, there you go. <laughs> we need a uh, we need some gifts, right? For our yeah. uh, some people call them gifs, as John might say. We need a you know a hair flip, uh, what graphical, does it mean? and yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, I would love to see a chart on this. Anyway, keep up the great work. Don't have many friends that are deep into the MCU. So it's really fun to hear a few friends talk about this stuff each week. Billy. Billy, glad to have you as a a friend. Uh, Please write us in some more as we continue our MCU coverage. We're going to be doing the Marvel's front and back coverage. So we're going to do a preview pod and a follow-up pod. Look, sounds like Spider-Verse is uh, on Netflix. Right. So one of these days we're going to get around to watching that i may have to put that on the schedule for december possibly yeah we've got yeah we're coming into our end of year time crunch so t- we're running out of time i know <laughs> and then of course we've got echo which is going to be a binge watch drop thing so we'll have to figure mm-hmm. out how we're going to do coverage so we're, we're going to be rolling on billy uh definitely let's hope we hear from you again because there is mcu community here for you uh next up is all Shalant. How do you, uh, do you have any theories on pronunciation? Here? I just, I was just saying Al, but uh, Al, Al, Al Chalant. Let it, let me know, Al, if you, uh, write in and, and let us know how to, yeah. if, if we got that right or wrong or, or what we can do to fix it. All right. They start off their email. Haven't heard anyone question what I'm about to discuss. So why is it that recording? Why is that recording of Ravona and he who remains queued up on a reel to reel in the war room in the past? That's a really good point. Specifically, that recording existing implies the TVA had their memories of Kang wiped and the Time Lords installed by Protocol 42 since he who remains and Miss Minutes discuss this immediately after Ravona is dismissed from the conversation. So recording equals memory wipe has happened. So how come the past TVA where Loki is listening to this recording still have statues of Kang ornamenting the walls. I'm getting a, yeah, this is getting some timey-wimey stuff. What do you think? (laughs) Any theories on the reel-to-reel? So in terms of the not remembering, I would just say that's because uh, it's been implied that they've gone through multiple time, uh, multiple mind wipes, memory wipes. Uh So uh, there seems to be, there's obviously that moment where we hear them talking, having this conversation, and there's a memory wipe after that. Uh, and obviously we know that there's a memory wipe after the time when Loki goes back and sees B-15 and Mobius. Yeah, there's clearly been 
uh, at least a couple of memory wipes that affect everybody except OB. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have definite questions that I'm assuming and hoping that they're going to answer in the finale about why that recording is there, especially, you know, as I was talking about last week, the fact that it's a little bit different. I don't know if that's just something we're not meant to notice or if that actually means something, but I think it could have to do with this multiple loop back on each other. But yeah, need to know who was listening to this recording in that room. <laughs> right. Okay. So big quite open question that we're going to have to to track for episode six. So good one, yeah. Al. Al continues, one possibility I keep coming back to is they can explain this by showing he who remains or miss minutes or even Sylvie leaving the recording in the past to be found as a time loop device, kind of like the TVA handbook with Victor. If they don't address this and gloss it over or never mention it, a bunch of swearing, angry <laughs> emojis. Shocked, are- <laughs> sad emojis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, agreed. All right. And I've noticed differences in the voice inflection deliveries in the original conversation and the recording. This could be just alternate takes, but I hope that maybe this could also be evidence of a time loop or this conversation and the mind wipes maybe happen multiple times. And maybe after- This is what I think. Okay. Multiple mind wipes, the Time Lords were finally installed because of a different event. But then why is the recording queued up on a reel-to-reel in the war room where any high-ranking TVA member could stumble on it. All right. Yeah. So yeah, good, good theories. We've got to, we've got to get to some answers in episode six and let us know. Yeah. Hopefully they just show like some, they're listening to it and they're called out of the room for something. And then the Loki pops up there, you know, something right. like that. For the record, uh, I believe that is an Akai 202D reel to reel tape. And if you Google for okay. that, you can find them on the internet. They range around 300 to $400. I think vintage, uh, I see one here for a thousand bucks on uh, eBay, but that's probably in pristine working order. Uh, I want one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot afford one. My spouse would uh, murder me if I, <laughs> if I bought one for vanity's sake. But gosh, I would really like one of those things. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. Uh, all right. Would you mount it in the wall? I put it right Would behind you? me here. You can see. Can you see yeah, this right okay. here? That's my eight millimeter reel to reel. I'm missing some reel okay. to reels. I gotta, but that's working. <laughs> I found that in a thrift shop. I gotta get some reels on it. But yeah, uh, I would love to have some old tech like that. I, I was drooling this sh- whole show of um, all the cool old computer tech that they had in here, all the switches and the dials and everything like that. I would love to outfit my office with all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so you just want to live on the live on the Loki set. Yeah, I want a physical switches, click, click, and you know, yeah. I want you know, press <laughs> buttons. I want to like press a big record button, a big tally light comes yeah. on and stuff. All right, enough of that. By the way, big MCU fan here. This is uh, Al's uh, email finishing up. Big MCU fan here, Alex from Detroit. Oh, so is this Agus Alex uh, is mm-hmm. their name. I'm just a little jaded by recent subpar MCU entries like Thor 4 and Ant-Man 3 and... <clears throat> The show that shall not be named. We named the show that shall not be named too many times this episode. So I'm really worried that I've identified a possible plot hole in the best of the best MCU shows available. I really hope this is by design and explained and not a timey-wimey fumble. Thanks, care. T- thanks. Take care, guys. Uh, love to hear what you think. P.S. I wrote this also to Jim and Aaron immediately after I discovered it and was a little more angry and heated my message to them, but I've cooled down a bit over the weekend. And then a quick email came in uh, post episode five, 
very well done, but unfortunately it looks like they're not interested in explaining this whole thing about the secret recording being on the reel to reel in the war room. So we still have one more episode, Alex. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I also think it's cool though, how we maybe see how the TVA is built with eighties, nineties tech. Now that we see that OB came from 1994. Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff in OB's uh, workshop that it even seemed even retro from there, but totally agree. Right. That, good point. Uh, good pick. Good point. Thanks, Al. It's great to get some feedback, finally, from some, mm-hmm. some folks. So hopefully we're, we're out there being a positive note for this show and, and the community is coalescing around it. All right. Next up, Jesse K wrote in after also episode four. Hey, super sleuths. Love your podcast. I love how you each bring a different angle to understanding the story and the context to make a show like Loki. I'm really missing Jean this episode too. Yeah. Uh, I know there's some some great comic book stuff and as well just to have his takes on on the storyline. But we'll we'll spend some time in episode six making sure that Jean has enough time to uh, give us his thoughts about the episode. I may have missed this, but I'm wondering if the reason Kang sent Miss Minutes back to the Victor Timely we met in, in earlier in the season is because Kang knew that he was the only variant that would not stop the time loom problem. Hmm. He seems to have figured it out, but was unable to figure it out in time to stop the explosion. Oh, this is a novel theory. I like this. He had been working on a solution, but was unable to work out all the problems. Maybe other versions of Victor Timely did not experience this problem. It's a kind of, it's kind of like he picked the version of himself that was the weakest. Oh, Hmm. is it possible that Kang did his own version of Dr. Strange by examining all of the possible timelines and coming to the conclusion that this Kang, Victor Timely, is the one that he needed to reset everything? Cheers, Jesse K. Thanks, Jesse. What do you think, Alicia? I mean, I'm still wondering if this Kang was placed on this timeline for for this reason, because this was the failsafe. Right. I'm also thinking that, yeah, we're going to. You know, I was talking about the seeing the he who remains version or something at the uh, void. But actually, I think probably what we'll see is this Jonathan Majors. We'll see Victor Timely again because Loki has slipped back to before he's forgetified. Mm -hmm. So he gets another chance now. I definitely think we're going to see he who remains remaining in some way. Mm -hmm. So, but I like this idea of this Victor Timely being placed, but then was this the right Victor timely to be placed? But then there was a mistake that happened and he, you know, there, you know, there was, no, I think, I think that this is what he who remains wanted. Okay. Yeah. But was, does Victor timely, what does he know? I don't know. I still am suspicious of him and his wandering ways in the TVA. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. All right. We're going to, we're going to see next episode. Next up is Marilyn who wrote in after episode four, we've got a good one here. First, let me clear up some confusion from my previous email to you. No, no, no. What I meant was that Miss Minutes, the AI, could delete Mrs. Davis in the AI in seconds, that Miss M was far more powerful and thus more ruthless than Mrs. Davis ever could be. I was not making a comparison between the two shows as a whole. I've already put Mrs. Davis ahead of Loki in my top five shows. We'll have to see if the next two episodes change my mind for that positioning, but I don't think that they will. I enjoy this sort of Loki fun, a lighthearted ride with interesting moments of introspection, but Mrs. Davis as a show 
was simply full of depth and wacky gravitas from beginning to end, along with superb actors, beautiful visuals, and an excellent storyline. Please don't at me, MCU. <laughs> <laughs> Loving listeners. <laughs> but I would say if for anyone who is an MCU lover and hasn't watched Miss- Mrs. Davis, do yourself a favor and do so. I am ashamed to say that it has not yet made it onto my my watching. I didn't I sort of have fallen behind on a few things and I haven't been able to catch up and maybe when I mid uh, December I'm going to catch up but that's going to be probably after I do my top 10. So mm-hmm. it's dicey. All right. Marilyn continues. In ancient Egyptian symbolism, the connection of the Ankh with Ouroboros is that they're both associated with life, death and rebirth. In particular, the Ankh is life and afterlife, while the Ouroboros is the constant flow of life to death to life. Both symbols could also be said to be related to fertility. So perhaps Sylvie's onk earring is another point in the direction of Sylvie as a Loki variant having something to do with Obi's existence, which I still think is highly possible. I also think OB will have a key role in restoring reality. Ouroboros eating his own tail is a very potent symbol of rebirth. And at some point during the episode, OB even refers to that very image of a snake swallowing its own tail. I can't for the life of me remember where this happens, but perhaps one of you three will. I'm starting to think that maybe the onk is just a little flourish that maybe mm-hmm. the actors decided, oh, you know, wouldn't it be fun if she wore this? And it's just sort of representing They might her. have intentionally done gone with the Egyptian sim- symbology, but I don't know that they are expecting us to derive any deeper meaning from it. No, and it's, you know, they never push it forward. It's just there, but it, it never feels like it's a mm-hmm. functional part of the plot. So speaking of Sylvie, I think one can only become a small G god if they're treated as such by others, especially non-godly folks. See Sir Terry Pratchett's Small Gods. Sylvie never developed that side of herself because she always was running and hiding in and out of disaster she often helped to create. Her abilities mm-hmm. are godlike, perhaps, but what was the event which made her a Loki variant? Question mark. And when? My impression is that she never had the chance to establish community which would have regarded her as a deity And since she had felt so highly subjected to the power over of others, thinking of herself as godlike is quite low on her probability scale. No, that makes sense. No, we know we know when it happened because we saw that in the first season, Uh the second episode that, yeah, it happened when she was still a child. But when she confronted Ravona about why Ravona's like, I don't remember. So. That's an that's a question that still needs to be answered within the show, but they're teasing us that there will be an answer, I think. Right. Okay. Marilyn continues, I expect it won't surprise you to learn that I do believe in free will. After all, it's what makes Eru's music possible in the mm-hmm. end. Eru Lord Luvatar, of the Rings reference. Yeah. The Aina Lindale in the Silmarillion uh, from Tolkien. Uh, In an interesting moment of Life Imitates Art, I was listening to this episode. I was pruning my Boston Ivy vines in the kitchen, and I accidentally cut off one of those, which was, quote unquote, dead at the base, but still green at the top. Moral of the story, be very careful what you prune. (laughs) Pretty funny. Uh, I hope it's, well, yes. I mean, you're pruning to make it healthy, right? We prune our plants. Some plants we have to prune very carefully and some can and can't be pruned, right? I'm no botanist, but um, mm-hmm. I believe that that is the case. So that's a good point. 
And finally, in your discussion of Zartan, whatever that is, you mentioned <laughs> the date 1984. Was that the date the first issue of that comic came out? Question mark. Which reminded me of the date that we found Sylvie at the McDonald's connection. As always, my gratitude for a lovely episode, Marilyn. Thoughts on uh, 1984? I mean, I wouldn't. I, it could be any number of ties. Why 1984? Was it because of the timing of age? Um, now we already got, you know, Mobius is is not Jack from Oklahoma, but I don't, maybe there's something about the time that needs to work out. It's also just interesting. 1984. I'm not saying this is a reference, but of course it makes me think the George Orwell book, which is all about uh, control and mind games and mind games sure, to, yep. so the government can keep control. So. Who knows if there's a reference in that. If we come up with any bigger links, we'll definitely bring them up. Right. And maybe Jean will be uh, listening to this episode and he will uh, come in with some um, in- interesting connections too as, as well uh, next week. All right. Last up is Abby, our weekly faithful Loki correspondent. Greetings, Alicia, David, Jean, and Marilyn. Oh, <laughs> crossing the, uh, the, the feedback streams here. Abby says, what an episode. First, let me gush about how amazing the show is in terms of visuals and sound performances. So beautiful. So much attention to detail. On to my immediate thoughts on the episode, although I'm sure I will realize some things and uh, express them immediately after I hit send. Yes, that's totally (laughs) the case. And I'm here with you, Abby, gushing as well. First, Loki. Not sure exactly what happened at the whiteout blackout. Were they all sent to their timelines according to the last minute desires and Loki was clinging to the TVA? Or is that what makes uh, Loki a Loki is that they may lose, but they survive? Oh, that's a good take. Alicia? For me, I was thinking it had to do with this whole idea of fail safe. Like there's just something that says if the TVA is about to spaghettify everyone and it gets sent back to where they came from. Interesting. Right. But then they have to know that it's it's only in the case where it's been spaghettified because uh, the branches are branching. So the Otherwise, only they don't have non, anywhere to go back to. The only non-TVA person there was Loki, right? So if there was some sort of built-in protocol, escape pods that shot you back to your timeline, well, but then, then he, Loki wouldn't have been shot back anywhere because he doesn't belong there. He should have been. Well, proved. no, but he would he would be shot back to um, where they picked him up. You know, when he where he was a prisoner, and he well, that's right. He picked up the tesseract. And then he uh, jetted to somewhere in the desert. So I guess he would shoot back to there. Right. But that would be if he's built into the protocol. Like, is his is he entered into the database it for seems, the... Yeah, it seems like he's been pretty well integrated into the That's staff. true. Right. He's... he's uh, so, well, maybe somebody Wearing in HR just never got around to... Uh, <laughs> Well, I think I think that um, it has to do with him having pulled himself out of time without self-pruning because of the time ah, setting. Good point. Very good point. But I'm assuming we'll find out in the finale. Right. All right, Abby continues. I was annoyed by his insistence on needing to save the TVA to safeguard against what's coming. Such a lame argument. Thankfully, it turns out that he just needed to come to terms with what his real motivation is, the very relatable desire for connection. What a growth for a character that he realizes that caring for someone, trusting them, supporting them isn't a weakness. It's a strength. Mm-hmm. Love isn't a dagger, even if it's painful and complicated. Yeah, yes. I think the the face turn is what's keeping, uh, it's, it's certainly what is attracting my attention for this show beyond the, the visuals and, and uh, the timey-wimey stuff. 
Continuing, the way he was trying to time slip was such a good callback to the time when he was trying to magic himself out of the TVA courtroom. Both times, his purpose wasn't yeah. clear, even to himself, and the outcomes were equally ineffective and hilarious. He even he, did the same like motion with his hands and his arms, right. like putting them out and clenching his fists. <laughs> Perfect. The interrogation room with Moby was uh, as well as the bar talk with Sylvie made him realize things about himself, yet still hesitant to express feelings. So Abby continues here regarding uh, Mobius taking some advice. I might have cheered when he said, I can rewrite the story. Let me tell you why. While no MCU project is a direct adaptation of any comic, it's nice to get these small inspirations. This time, the advent of the God of Stories, Agent of Asgard run. I'm sure Jean has deeper knowledge and can elaborate more. Well, hopefully Jean will be able to elaborate uh, next episode. So that's interesting. But yeah, I think this idea, we, we have to remember that this show is a comic book, right? In nature, in its, its core and in, in what it's talking about. So I think it's important when we're critiquing the show to remember that and that built in inherent to the story and the character arcs of the story is for these triumvirate, uh, these triumphant arcs to occur and for, for characters to uh, sort of win in the end, right? Right. All right. On to supporting characters. Abby says, I expressed my wish after the last episode to know what Obi's real name is. But Doug, seriously, Doug, <laughs> I will continue to call him Obi. Anyhow, Kehi Kwan is a gem and the character is so likable and relatable. He's passionate about fiction and science and is funny and resigned and I'm passionate about him. Ha ha. The line about losing his job and being left by his wife made me think about everything everywhere all wait it, it, everything everywhere oh wait all at once all at once yeah okay yeah um yes great movie uh and it was really it's really great to see him bouncing out of that and and coming into this so well it's just he's so he plays you know several different characters in the other one because he's because it's a multiverse situation but. Yeah. It's just interesting. None of them are anything like OB. So I just am so impressed by his nuance and versatility in acting. And I just can't believe we lost so many decades that he could have been on our screens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, agreed. Agreed. Well, let's make up for lost time. Right. The Mobius backstory wasn't surprising. Not sure if the timestamp of 2022 on his branch timeline is correct. The shop environment and his kids calling on a landline had more of a 90s vibe. Yeah little bit of inconsistencies there right because uh why aren't they, yeah. they texting him or calling on his cell phone so. but that's why like i think they put him in 2022 for a reason and i still wonder if there's something between that 2022 and 1984 that still needs to be connected all right all right let's keep an eye on it uh i was so happy that b15 has finally a, a name and a story and no surprises that she is awesome her first name being Verity, as per the end credits, elicits another excited squeak as this is another comic hint from the same uh, AOA. I'm not sure what AOA is a, a short for. I'd watch a whole episode dedicated to her. Wuni Misaku is just so good. Agreed. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Verity, yeah, you called out Verity earlier as being a. Yeah. But I'd focus. like to see more, even more personality, yeah. you know, like not just Please. nice, but, yeah. you know. Casey being a criminal was a surprise, but his later compulsion of collecting valuable looking objects may be a hint on why he has all the infinity stones in his drawer in episode <laughs> one of season one. I think that's a good call, Abby. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. He's attracted to these shiny objects. 
Sylvie is Sylvie, and she's unwilling to actually express feelings as Loki. Her choice of timeline is cozy, but oh, so lonely. She undermines her own professed uh, idea. Uh, her own I don't pro- give a fuck. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I was I'm like trying to read that. <laughs> yes, I don't give an F attitude with always showing up when things get rough. In conclusion, this show presents us with a nonlinear story while also showcasing the gradual but real growth of the characters. All the loops, uh, all, the, all the characters except for Unmi Masaku. Right. All the loops, the TVA uh, settings are a device to explore the deeper questions about identity, determinism, and especially human connections. No person is an island, and it isn't subtle that the one who is, who doesn't do partners, is the villain. I'm looking forward to the final episode, to how Loki will be rewriting the story, and I just really hope that we get a satisfying ending. As always, your weekly Loki correspondent, Abby. Thanks, Abby. Thanks for being uh, a great correspondent, and we are looking forward to your thoughts for episode six. I agree, and I've said this before, is that the nutrition of the show for me is these deeper character connections and this idea. I think this idea of who are we if we're not part of community, even if we don't have besties and we're rolling whatever, we're still part of a community. You still live in a building. You still live somewhere people know of you and 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 you interact when you go to the store or whatever we're part of something and and I think it's important to acknowledge that and that is what's interesting in a story right if if right the human heart in conflict with itself is maybe a primary story the next sort of level up of stories is 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 us in in relationship to each other that's what all good stories are about right right all right well so there ends the episode, two and a half hours uh, mm-hmm. of raw recording time. It'll probably edit down a little bit, but uh, Alicia, I guess it just goes to show you, even when we're down a podcaster, we are still... Yeah. <laughs> we still have a lot to say. We still got a lot to say. We wouldn't be the Lorehounds if we didn't. Let's talk really quickly about upcoming schedules. We For the Lorehounds, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. We're catching up on our backlog. Um, got our Silmarillion stories out, and we've got um, our uh, Star Wars Film Festival uh, for Return, uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, just dropped. We've also got coming up, uh, I'm just checking on the schedule here, for November, we're going to have all of our normal stuff. For Star Wars Film Fest, we're going to be covering Solo. And then we're going to do our Marvel's pre and post coverage. We've got Tehanu. We're going to be reading chapters seven through 10. And then we'll have one more in December to finish that off. And then I think uh, Alicia, you and I were talking about doing a one shot for Napoleon. Right. uh, The new Ridley Scott uh, film that's coming out soon. We don't have any big shows on until January. So we're going to be doing, I think, a bunch of one shots in December because a bunch of movies are coming out. Probably you're going to be covering a boy and uh, his, is it a boy and his heron or boy and the heron? And the heron. And the heron, yeah. Uh, definitely going to be covering Rebel Moon, which is mm-hmm. uh, going to be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, I think we might be able to pull some folks together for Wonka. And I really want to check out um, what is this uh, life? Uh, oh, I don't. I, I haven't only shortcutted here. What's the new Netflix? Um, uh, All the light that you can see. Or- no, the life that you leave behind. Oh, okay. That's what it is, and that is a Rob Esamil. Rob Esamil. Esamil. Sam Esamil. 
uh, mm-hmm. uh, show, which Sam Esmail was the showrunner for Mr. Robot. So this is a new film that he's got out on Netflix. I think it hit the, it's going to hit the theaters for a minute and then it's going to go straight to, to Netflix. Uh, and I really want to see what that's about. It's got Marshall Ali in it and he's a character. He's an actor who I will, will follow almost anywhere. Blade. Yes. Blade. Alicia, you have been busy. You finished up your house of Usher multi coverage. You were on Anthony's podcast. You were on with right. John, you had a book club, you had a wool shift dust uh, feed. That was a lot of work, but it sounded like you were having a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so definitely check those things out. And uh, right now we're getting back into the Dune coverage. So basically the the Dune coverage, we're still continu- continuing with it. Uh, we're just spacing it out between other things to stretch it out between now and uh, spring when the movie is supposed to drop now. Um, and in the meantime, we're going to be covering Beacon 23, the new Hugh Howie adaptation, which is going to be on MGM Plus about a guy at a uh, lighthouse, sort of space lighthouse, who witnesses a crash and meets some interesting people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed that we get a good inspiration adaptation. I don't know where we'll be on the scale. Yeah, I think this is definitely looking closer to inspiration, but that's what I thought when it came to uh, the fall of the House of Usher after I saw the trailer. And then once I saw the show, I was like, oh, wow, no, they really will pieces of it all together in there. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, we'll probably be not doing that episode by episode, but doing that in chunks of two or three episodes at a time. Okay. Sounds good. And it looks like uh, you, John, and I will do a quick primer that will release right. uh, cross-release on the feeds to get everybody uh, excited about it. And then, and then you and Luke, are you guys are doing a preview yep. pod as well, right? Yeah. We're going to do a preview pod, just talking a bit more about like the what this is, what to expect, and uh, what the whole development of this is. Great. Yeah. So head over to Woolshift Dust if you haven't already subscribed to Alicia's feed. Um, there's a link in the show notes or check it out on our, our website because it'll auto post over there as well. Uh, last up is uh, Properly Howard Movie Review. The guys, Steve and Anthony, have finished their season of covering uh, about a dozen movies, all remakes this time around. We will let you know when they get geared up for their next season of movies, but those are all in their feed link in the show notes. In the meantime, Steve and Anthony are weekly. We're dropping uh, podcasts on Fridays for a severance season one recap. Uh, they're doing episode by episode. We're assuming we're, we're fingers and toes crossed that severance season two is going to be released early 2024. We weren't sure if it was going to be January or later. They've still been very vague about the release date, except for sometime early 2024. So we went ahead and decided to fire up a brand new feed for that and start releasing the episodes now. And uh, when season two starts, it will be myself, John, Anthony, and Steve, all four of us covering episode by episode week to week. So that's in its own separate dedicated feed makes for logistic reasons and whatnot. We decided that that would be the best best way to do it. So go find that feed, get subscribed and be ready for when that drops. All right. That is a lot, a lot going on over here and we're coming Mm -hmm. into our end of the year coverage. We will be releasing our second breakfast, which is typically our exclusive Patreon 
uh, podcast. But we do our Christmas episode. We, we make that available to everyone. And that's where we talk about our top tens for the year. And we'll be going around with Alicia and Jean and Marilyn and various folks and, and getting everybody's input as to what their favorite shows are. And we'll have more on that as we get a little bit closer. Last up, we would like to thank our Patreon supporters, everyone who is a subscriber. Thank you all so very much. A couple of quick notes. Um, we do have free trials available. It's a new feature that uh, Patreon has uh, included, so you can check us out. We've also been turning on the audio preview feature, so if you want to listen to a podcast to see what it's like without ads, you can check that out as well. And, and we also have annual memberships, so if it works better for your budget, uh, check that out. We give you a 10% discount, and for as little as about 30 bucks, you can get a whole year of uh, all this great quality content that we try to produce at uh, Lorehounds Central and with all of our friends like Stephen Anthony and Alicia. And you've got some more voices coming in with you. Of course, you had Luke, uh, who you did Silo with, and you guys are doing Dune. And then it sounds like you and Abby- And Beacon 23, yeah. Yeah, and, and Beacon 23. And it sounds like you and Abby are going to be teaming up for something as well. Uh, yes, Abby is, she's going to be my co-host on the book club now. Okay. So we've already recorded our first episode, Breaking Yay. Down the Book, Beacon 23. So that will be released soon. Very and cool. then she'll be joining me for the rest of the Silo books. And then yeah. you and Jean are talking about some comic DC big stew sort yeah. of thing. So is new it going to cover animation the plan. stuff or is it just more more DC MCU or what's the split? So I, I don't want to like promise anything before I've talked more with Jean, but it's, right. yeah, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, it's going to be a flexible format, but I think we're going to focus to start on sort of a Marvel versus DC character versus character sort of thing. Got it. And we probably do some Aquaman coverage, I'm guessing. Yes. And we'll, yeah, we want to launch with some Aquaman coverage okay. for the movie that comes out. Um, we're going to, we, we know it's, it's like the tail end of the DCEU <laughs> <Right>. and <laughs> neither of us is, is like, has it as the movie of the year we're looking forward to, but we're going to have some fun with it yeah. anyway. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You get to talk about Aquaman, who's kind of an important mm -hmm. character as well. Cool. Anyway, that's the long way around saying that if you're interested in supporting all of the what we do, then Patreon's a great way. Alicia has a Patreon for her stuff. We've got ours, uh, but we make sure that everybody that is on our shows is, is taken care of as well. So all of your support goes to keeping us moving and keeping us, yeah, you know, keeping it's, it's not, it's not an inexpensive proposition to put on this podcast. So uh, to Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Laura G, Dead Eye, Jedi Bob, who did some work with you. You guys did, uh, he was on your... Um... He helped me with the... With the Halloween special, you awesome. know, he did Red the Raven and he's also, we're already talking about the winter holiday special. Ooh, fun. All right. Uh, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero and Adrian. These are our lore master top tier supporters. Thank you all so very much for your support. Thank you to all our patrons. And uh, Alicia, I think here ends the episode and excited for episode six. Yes. There's only one thing to go to do is to go back to when it all began and do it better this time. <laughs> ah, Ouroboros or Amobius. Actually, it's Amobius yeah. in this case. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next week. 
the Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio.